Hello and welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and today we are taking a little side trip through the history of the Marvel Universe, covering, well, the book called The History of the Marvel Universe. And with me today, speaking of history, is somebody that you're, if you're interested in the history of comic podcasting, you might have heard of. He's a minor person in it. Um, I think he did a little show before and has done another little show for the last several years. Uh, Peter Rios. Hey, Al. How are you? Yeah, just a little show called Comic Geek Speak. You know, it's only uh, been around since 2005. Nothing. Pod, pod, class, pod class of 2005, yeah. <laughs> it's I'm, more like inaugural class. Yeah. I'm trying to get that, like, lingo out there. I think that could be fun. Like, you know, hey, when did you start podcasting? Well, I'm a I'm pod class of, of so-and-so, 2010, <laughs> 2015, whatever. I think I'd be, what, 2011. Oh, cool. No, 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 not 11. Not that, oh. not that long. 11. What am I talking about? I'm insane. <laughs> I don't know how long I've been doing this. But you got to figure it out. The The anniversaries are important. Um, speaking of sort of like history and stuff like that. I always find, which I'm sure you have too, that uh, build up to anniversaries can be fun, you know, to like episode 50, episode 100, episode 200. Uh, oh, that, no, yeah. Oh, 2014. It was close. Okay. But yeah, no, no, that, and that's true. I mean, I remember 100, although that was a big pain. I had like, we did a double-sized episode, and I had like several guests and doing different segments, and we did a whole, had a bunch of people together to do like a uh, hostess mini, you know, hostess ad read, read through. <laughs> I, have to, I got a little bit of that. I think it was that episode. I'm pretty sure it was. Nice. Yeah, there was a bunch of stuff involved in that. But yes. So how you doing, Peter? Good, good. Ready to jump into this uh, sprawling tapestry that is the the history of the Marvel Universe. So so glad that uh, uh, that we're covering this. Yeah, this is. It was a thought I had before a while ago, and then I think it was on Twitter, and you were talking about doing stuff with like Mar you were talking about reading Marvel Saga, mm -hmm. which was like the earlier version of this, so to speak. Yeah, I I had collected it for the longest time as it was coming out, but then had to get some of the back issues. And I don't know, it just, uh, I, in my collection, I don't know if you're as geeky as this, but in my collection, I have two long boxes that are nothing but handbooks, who's who, secret files, sagas, anything that's like reference material, comic book sized. I, I've pulled them out into their own boxes so so I know exactly where to get them, right? And every now and then I sort of dip into the Marvel saga, but I, I, I never finished reading it. And I think I was doing some image drops on Twitter or I was talking about it. And like, and again, Marvel saga is from 1986. So it's history up to that point. And I was going, look at these really awesome connections that I don't think they've ever really explored or certain characters that were, you know, here's all the characters that were involved in the Korean War. Here's all the characters that, uh, you know, were in a certain city at the same time. And that tapestry was so fascinating to me because I'm so immersed on the DC side of things even though I've read Marvel as a kid as well. So it just was fun to explore. And I, I get, I don't remember what I said on Twitter, but then that's how we sort of connected for this. 
Yeah, and for anyone who doesn't know what it just knows the name but doesn't know it, Marvel Saga, like you, Peter said, came out around '86. And it was, I think it lasted like 25 issues, something like that. Mm -hmm. And they basically went back through like the earlier Marvel Universe stuff, although some before, but mostly starting with FF1 and kind of took like, okay, you know, to to use original panels from these books to say, here's the history of what happened, you know, as it happened, not just as it was published. So stuff with the ancient one would have been, you know, shown before fantastic four one or anything showing like i we've had some stuff about wolverine from beforehand it's like this was wolverine train you know training with the hudsons mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know to kind of give you an idea of when these things happened at this you know in a timeline so to speak right right and that was so fascinating because uh you know you could do that with the marvel universe especially in 1986 because it was in celebration of the 25th anniversary right it, it, yeah. it wasn't that many years so they could go back and like you said, I loved how they mixed in. Okay, so Doctor Doom has had several origins, some drawn by Kirby, some drawn by John Byrne. We're going to mix them all together to give you uh, sort of a definitive look at the origin. Uh, and that's kind of what they're doing here with the history of the Marvel Universe as well. Um, but that's what made it so fascinating. And I, I've always had kind of like a trivia mind Uh, Or a mind for trivia, I should say. And I just was like, this is so great. So to revisit it all these years later with new knowledge and hindsight, um, uh, I I still need to get back to it because I think I stopped around issue eight or something like that. But yeah, I don't think I don't at least not on Twitter. I don't think you finished, you know, finished doing your things on that. Whether you finished reading on your own, who knew? But. Right. I don't think right. on there you got that much further. But right. and to answer your question, while I don't have them separated into separate boxes, I do have a bunch of those, and a lot of that sometimes is things that would get me started reading them, especially like handbooks or the uh, when they were coming out at the time, like the gaming supplements. Mm. Like yeah. uh, the Titan source book is what I started reading before I started reading Titans. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, yeah. Uh, I I was thinking just the the Marvel side of things, but yeah, like the DC Atlas. Uh, I'm oh, sure yeah, I love I love that thing. That's yeah. Yeah, I have that still. And I still use that. I'm like, oh, OK, so yeah, Gotham's in Jersey. I'm fine with that. I mean, except for <laughs> the hor- that, that map is horribly drawn, though. It's like, who drew that? <laughs> like, did I draw that or like with my art talent? Because there's no. <laughs> I love all that stuff. I love and and some of it doesn't some of it doesn't exactly match up. Right. But that's not the point. I think a lot of it kind of like what what you know this history of the marvel universe does and marvel saga some of it winds up being like headcanon almost you know as a reader you could look at all this history but then if i haven't really read the comic uh you know it it helps to fill in the blanks but then those comics that i did read i can kind of go yeah that fits with my version of the marvel universe that i've read so far and as i read more more and more of those of those factoids fall into place in a much better way than just sort of reading like Wikipedia, you know. Uh, and I so I think that I think that's the other fun of it. You know, you got all these resource materials that are so awesome. But then I go back and uh, uh, read where some of these stories actually came from. And then I'm like, ah, now it really makes sense. Yeah. And yeah, it is nicer to them, like just Wikipedia, because at the very least you have the artwork. 
yes. to go with it to look at. And Marvel Saga, I mean, the cool thing about Marvel Saga is, especially at the time when not every you didn't have trade paperbacks everywhere. Yeah. So it was a way to kind of see the original story, somewhat of the original story, because it wasn't very easy to get, you know, issues of Fantastic Four One, let's say, even back then. Right. And unless you had a comic store near you that would have, you know, back issues cheap of Marvel's Greatest Comics, which was the reprint series in the 70s for Fantastic Four, you're you're relying on these things to tell you to at least be able to see bits and pieces of the work from that time. Right, right. And this series goes one different, and it has original artwork for this. Yeah. And oh. at, first, at first I thought, oh, that might be kind of boring because there's no story for it. But I realized it's basically just pages of, like, posters or pinups or they can get, you know— really artistic with it like that page that just to jump ahead real quick the page mm-hmm. of camelot yes with the black knight and morgan Le Fay and merlin and he has like the you know morgan Le Fay is taller bigger than everything she's standing over there with like the vines all coming up the side and like the little gargoyles oh it's so good it's like oh actually this is kind of before fun for him he doesn't have to worry about storytelling you know throughout the whole issue it's just kind of like per page right right Thinking about layout, and especially with that page, too, uh, you know, some pages are, are a little more traditional than others. They have panel borders and all that. But, like, for that Camelot page, the Black Knight sword is a panel border, right? And so yeah. he, has, he has to think about building pages differently. Some are double double splash pages. Some are just one-off pages. Um, but... Uh, the fun of it, and and I have to imagine the the whole reason why Javier Rodriguez is behind it is because there's such an interesting vibe to it and an energy. And when you're telling a story like this, you know, you don't want just uh, static imagery. Uh, it has to be creative, or it needs to knock your socks off. Like if it is just going to be panel borders, then it's just. They, those images better be so iconic or immediately bring to mind 20 stories that you read with that character or whatever. So you're right. That's actually a good, a good point uh, about the Marvel saga is basically cut and paste, right? Yeah. Yeah. Although they did have one or they did have some new art, like sp- the splash pages sometimes were new art. Oh, yeah, there was some for if they didn't have if it was just mentioned but wasn't shown. That's true. Because right. anything that was mentioned but not shown, they obviously had to draw something. But for the most part, especially when they're doing the stuff that was shown, they just cut and paste the panel and went, here you go. Exactly. But, yeah, you're right. This is all new art. And this is this is kind of, uh, uh, you know, Javier Rodriguez's and, and company, their their take, their version, their as it is in uh, what year has come out, 2019, right? Yeah. And and it's the kind of thing that I think both companies could do every like ten to fifteen years, and I would be a happy puppy. Oh God, yeah. I mean, I, I was fine for that multiversity guidebook by Morrison kept me mm. going for a few years as it was, and that was just one issue. <laughs> just the map, the multiversity map. Oh I, God, I, I obsessed over for you know months. And like how it all worked in together. Like he worked in the bleed. He worked in all that stuff. Oh. Uh. So only ma- only a true maniac can can do this kind of stuff, you know, like uh, the Marvel saga had multiple uh, multiple um, contributors. Right. Um, I need to pull up who actually was the, the main uh, kind of force behind it all. I've, uh, I never looked it up, but te- I, I have to assume 
that you're going to see the words Mark Grunewald in there somewhere. Right, right, yeah, because, I mean, when you talk about, like, the handbooks, um, the handbooks, uh, the, the, or when you mentioned about the Atlas and those poorly drawn maps, you know, like, Mark Grunewald did, did a lot of that kind of stuff from Marvel. Um, Peter Sanderson. Well, I should have thought of that, too. Yeah, who, uh, you know, talk about another guy who, you know, the driving force behind all the research behind the crisis for DC and then comes over and does basically the same thing with Marvel. Um, if you think about history of the DC universe, Marv Wolfman, I mean, he's very open about saying, you know, after the crisis and after the history of the DC universe, his brain kind of broke. I can imagine. Uh, you know, keep it's like the keeper. They're keepers of all this information. And and in all great literature, whenever you have somebody who ha- who knows everything, usually what are they? They're like a hermit. They're like a madman, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you're right. So Grant Morrison, Mark Wade. Yeah, Mark Wade. Just go ask. Yeah, just so ask him any random Legion trivia question, or you know, right. Superman, <laughs> and he'll be able to tell you that. Yeah. But yeah. What was I going to say with this? Damn, I forgot. <laughs> oh, that's right, Mark Grunewald, because I was thinking, because he was one of the people involved, and we did we did something else like this before. Uh, we covered the, um, it was a reprint that came out recently called Eternal Secrets from the Marvel Universe. Oh, I have it was, that. I haven't read it yet, yeah. It collects a lot of the backup stories from What If, the original series of What If, mm-hmm. where they kind of merged together a lot of stuff, including the Eternals, and how the Eternals connected to Duff and stuff, and that's where actually Thanos being Eternal first showed up. Oh, okay. Because if you read those original Captain Marvels and Warlock, he's just from Titan. Right. There is no mention of Eternals whatsoever. In fact, I mean, Star Fox doesn't even learn he's an Eternal until he's a member of the Avengers. Oh, that's Avengers right. 250. And that's when he finds out when he right, meets Cersei right. and the other Eternals there. And he's like, wait, you know, and they're doing the obligatory. We're going to tell you our origin. Like, we wish we knew what would happen to a Lars. He's like, I know, that's my daddy. Yeah. <laughs> Making those random connections, right? Like, that's the beauty of it, uh, of these stories, because, like, they even do it here in the history of the Marvel Universe, right? Like, they're making connections that weren't previously told, um, you know, which I'm sure we'll get into a few of those things. And and it's, it's really just the unfolding of the Marvel Universe, right? Yeah. Like, my major understanding of the Marvel Universe, because of the handbooks and because of Marvel Saga, whenever I hear like a factoid that has connected after the 80s, I'm like, wait a minute, that's not right. You know, like that in the 80s, that wasn't the way it was. But then, you know, as more writers write stories and make connections, obviously that is what it is, right? Things change. Yeah. And so that's what's also fun about mapping out these histories. As I'm reading Marvel Saga and now reading History of the Marvel Universe, there's going to be clashes and there's going to be stuff, untold stories that are now told. Um, And I think and I I like I love that. You know, I love that layering of history and continuity. And uh, and then and then. What's great about at least the history of the Marvel Universe with the appendix, it's telling you what issues these things come from. So you can go back and. And especially now with Mar- you know, Mar- Marvel Unlimited, it's very easy to go, oh, you know what? Even if I don't want to go do it normally, pay 10 bucks and read all the stuff they're telling you in the back in a month. Right, right. But yes, there is some um, changing of things and merging of things, not just the things that 
that time goes on, but also because time goes on, they have to kind of now make it fit because it fit back in the 60s, but doesn't now. So like just to jump ahead briefly in issue two, we're going to get into the talk about some stuff about the country. I think I'm not sure I pronounce it. I I wasn't figuring it out yet because I wasn't thinking about talking about it now. Sing Kong, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that is. Okay. S-I-A-N-C-O-N-G, which basically they've kind of made into the country where that's where Tony Stark first got hurt and became oh. Iron Man. That's where Frank Castle was fighting because you're taught. Otherwise, those things are tied into specific wars and events that don't make sense later. Right. Right. You know, so make up what, an imaginary one and then. Exactly. Going. Because instead of. You know, instead of doing, I mean, yes, the, the movie, you know, did it great, put him in Afghanistan. But that's because with real actors and movies, it is going to always be a time. You know, you're not going to have Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man in 50 years. Right. So even if they have Iron Man movies, it's going to be a whole new continuity. These, you know, they're trying to keep that same thing. You know, that's why they kind of ignore the fact that Reed Richards and Ben Grimm were fighting in World War II early on. <laughs> you know, we have to kind of ignore that because we can't have that happen. Right. Or, you know, Charles Xavier was in Korea right. during the Korean War. And now they have this fictional company country that they can kind of merge a lot of that in. And in fact, if anyone's reading the if anyone's heard of the series out right now called The Marvels by Kurt Busiek, he's mm-hmm. writing it. That that country is involved in their initial storyline a lot. Um, it's very big. In fact, nice. there's an issue. I think it's like issue four. It has uh, from before, you know, before FF1. As like going together on a research trip, there's uh, Reed Richards and Ben Grimm, uh, Batroc, you know, before he was known as Batroc the Zilipa, uh, the guy <laughs> who's going to become Modoc, mm-hmm. and like one or two other care. Oh, oh, um, Crash Simpson, the uh, you know adopted father of Johnny Blaze, <laughs> and like one or two other names are in there. You know, people are in there from you know before they were stars, so to speak. Right. Right. So even now it's, you know, they're, you know, not only is this thing a history, it's actually changing the future a bit because now we have this whole new country and now we have a whole new series that's involved in it. Yeah. And then there's ways to, I love that. I love that idea of like a floating, whether it's the city, whether it's, whether it's a conflict, you know, it's, it's imaginary. So it can be floating. It can just float from any decade to any decade, you know, wherever, because Marvel always had that like 10 year sliding time scale. Yeah. Uh, but it was never perfect because Franklin Richards was always like you know, <laughs> five years old, six years old for like 20 years. You know, he's but 20, that, he's five, he's 10, he's 15. Yeah. God knows. So to have that location, that one sort of location, that would make sense that all the Marvels before they became Marvels, uh, if anybody's tied to a war, you know, that makes sense. I, I totally love that. I can't yeah. wait to read the Marvels now. Yeah, no, I'm enjoying it a lot. It's a lot of fun. They just brought an ace from the old spectacular Spider-Man. If you were, I don't remember even read the issues he's in, but I've seen the like ads for the covers where like he's his guy's like wearing like almost like a white uh, suit or jet like white outfit with a motorcycle. <laughs> it was like from early mid '80s spectacular Spider-Man. I think it was like from the annuals, and it was like a story just called Ace. ace I have no idea who he is, but I, must, I recognize the picture. I'm like, oh my god, they brought this character back. Oh wow. That's a throwback. I'm like, what's next? Uh, Wolfpack? No, not Wolfpack. I don't know. Those kids that used to help out lo- were in the Longshot miniseries. Oh. <sighs> anyway. Yeah, so the, the online people is we like this kind of stuff. Yes. Yes, absolutely. 
And I'm sure we'll have more to talk about as we go through and in the next issues. So let's start off with issue one. Okay. History of the Marvel Universe. Writer Mark Wade, pencilers and colors. Oh, nice. Javier Rodriguez. History of the Marvel Universe, issue one. Script, Mark Wade. Pencils and colors, Javier Rodriguez. Inker, Alvaro Lopez. Letters, VCs Joe Caramagna. Editor, Tom Brevoort, Alana Smith, and Shannon Andrews Ballesteros. Cover art by Steve McNiven, Mark Farmer, and Sunny Go. Variant covers, Javier Rodriguez and Alvaro Lopez. Nick Bradshaw and John Roche. John Busima and Jason Keith. David Marquez and Matthew Wilson. And second print cover by Steve McNiven, Mark Farmer, and Sunny Go. Cover dated September 2019. On sale date July 24th, 2019. Cover price $4.99. You can find this reprinted in History of the Marvel Universe Treasury Edition from 2019. Historia del Universal Marvel Number 1, a Spanish 2019 reprint. And History of the Marvel Universe Trade Paperback from 2021. As you heard me tell Peter just a moment ago, I was going to do a synopsis here, but when we did the recording, basically we just ended up doing a really long synopsis. So there's no point doing it double, so I'm not going to bother. Hey, worked out well for me. Saved myself this work. All right, we're going to do a promo, and then back to Peter and myself doing the long synopsis. Enjoy. When you talk about comics, does it sound something like this? Look. You can't put the Superman number 77s with the 200s. They haven't even discovered red kryptonite yet. And you, uh, you can't put the number 98 with the 300s. Lori the Morris hasn't even been introduced. Or maybe it sounds a little more like this. You think Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman? What are you, cracked? Why not? I saw the other day he was carrying five elephants in one hand. Boy, you don't know nothing. Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Superman is a real guy. No way a cartoon could beat up a real guy. Yeah, maybe you're right. Would be a good fight, though. Hello, I am the constantly caffeinated Clinton Robinson, and my comics discussions can go to both extremes, but generally fall somewhere in between. On the Coffee and Comics podcast, I will review comic stories and other comics-related topics that can be enjoyed over a cup of coffee. So pour the coffee, or other beverage of choice, and join me on the Coffee and Comics podcast, available on iTunes and coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. But yeah, I forgot he did pencils and colors, so that makes sense. Get a lot of control over his artwork there. Absolutely. I know start going back with connecting with the show. Starlin did that a lot when he was doing the uh, some of the Adam Warlock and the Captain Marvel issues. Well, and what I found out is that uh, Javier Rodriguez, because this is the first even uh, this was really what sold um, the book for me beyond just being a reference nut. But um, I saw images of the a few images of the interiors. But the, and that's where I learned the name Javier Rodriguez, even though I realized I've already have read books that he's worked on because um, he started as a color artist in like Batman Year One, in Doctor Strange, The Oath, uh, in Amazing Spider-Man during the Brand New Day era. So he was he was a color artist and, and then eventually became like an inker and then eventually 
worked in worked his way into being a penciler, which is maybe something he always was, but um, f- got into comics differently uh, or or in a different path. So, like like I was here, there's always everyone's path to getting into working in comics. There's always a different one. Yeah, yeah. Starting with co- going to coloring, which is probably a lot easier to get into as long as you can do it, obviously, than being the penciler. Everyone wants to be a penciler. Right. And you have to imagine he's working with a cast of thousands, right? So what are your options? You either have to write a lot of notes to your color artist and say, okay, here's where I pulled this image from, so I want the character to 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 be colored like this, or you just do it yourself. And and I guess that's what they opted to do because he has the skills. Yeah. Um, yeah so it, it probably makes a lot of things easier, uh, more t- time consuming, obviously, but maybe also a little easier as well. But also for something like this, that makes sense. It's not a regular monthly series where we got to have, you know, we're going to be doing this for the next 10 years. This was a right. six issue series. He was able probably could have taken his time. Right. And go, OK, I'm done with issue five now. Now you can start soliciting issue one. Right. Because <laughs> by the time I finish with six, we'll be up to six. So there is a brief framing sequence to this whole series, which is Franklin Richards and Galactus at the end of time. So from what I remember, this is taking off on the Jonathan Hickman run of FF, where Franklin is like working with Galactus in the future. Mm, to me, my Galactus. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to read up on some of that stuff, but there wasn't enough information out there for me to find specifically about it. But I just knew the basic of it, which was they were together. And apparently they're together at the end of the universe. And they're implying that the universe is about to end. And basically, Franklin is going to be the quote unquote new Galactus for the new universe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is something that um, I think the first time I, I I. Uh, by mm. Alex Ross and and um, John Paul Leon and uh, who's the other writer that Alex Jim is, uh, Kruger I want to say yes thank you yes 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 yeah I love that was great all oh, those covers yeah I mean that series was just really cool especially coming off of like Kingdom Come and and telling a future of the Marvel universe and and the connection there I I don't I guess I I don't I won't say it for people who might haven't read it but. Um, there is a, a Franklin Richards Galactus connection there. Oh, uh, that's right. Now I remember that. Uh-huh. 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 So, I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, it connects to the whole thing with the way that his views Odin and the other gods. That's right. Right, right. And just Galactus's quote-unquote, um, not mission, but just the reason behind why he does what he does, you know. and His uh, purpose, at least in this universe. Right, for that story. Not yeah. necessarily for, you know, the Marvel use. But, it, but it's certainly creative, and it was certainly interesting um so when when i opened this up uh i was like oh yes right of course that totally makes sense you know these two characters at the end of time great yeah by the way just real quick on that speaking of that love the fact for alex ross yeah kingdom come and then marvels and yeah while they're both stories about the future of the universe he's not just retelling the same story because i can because people will buy it because of the art and all that stuff right right or because my covers completely different types of stories yes no wonder i enjoyed both of those because they were was not just telling the same because after a certain point in time i'm like okay we're just telling the same stories again i'm 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 gonna come back when you're doing something new (laughs) now i read an interview uh, with mark wade about the history of the marvel universe and uh to to paraphrase he said he wasn't interested in just doing 
a book that read like Wikipedia, right? He wanted to make sure that there was some story behind it. And as you mentioned, you know, we get this framing sequence of Franklin Richards and Galactus. Did you get us um, having having read the first issue? And, I, and if you've read other issues, I've only read the first issue so far. Well, I read uh, all six when they came out. Oh, OK, great. Um, uh, I love the framing sequence. I'm not entirely sure Mark Wade succeeded with the notion of. Uh, that there has to be a story behind why the all this history is being told, right? Obviously, it's just as I'm sure we'll go into it. It's it's Galactus basically telling the story of the Marvel Universe, right? But it does yeah. kind of still read like this event happened and then this event happened. Yeah, and this event happened and that event happened. I mean, it's nice to have that little bit. I mean, it's been a long time since I read the other issues because since we decided to do this, I haven't read anything but one because I want to mm-hmm. stay keep my brain more or less on one. Yeah. You know, one at a time, especially something like this, I can get, it's easy to get mixed up. Sure, 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 sure. To remember what happened when. But um, it, it, it does enough to fulfill its purpose. It's kind of like the the framing sequence from the movie Tales from the Dark Side. Is it important? No. Does it, you know, does it really matter what the sequence, the framing sequence is? Not really. It's just right. a fun little thing. Right. And I do like the, I do like the way he does the page here. Yeah. He's, oh, the, yeah. Absolutely. You know, where the panels are kind of like designed a lot to look like different versions of those uh, the little the little things sticking out the side of Galactus's helmet. <laughs> and plus that one image of Galactus where it's just like his costume and everything is dark inside. Like it's it's so the universe is so close to dead that like there's nothing left to Galactus. There's no face. There's no body. It's just armor and sentience. Ah, uh, it's so good. It's sort of implying, you know. Like you mentioned, well, not imply heavily uh, implying that uh, Frank, this is this is going to be Franklin Richards' new role. Yeah, I love that. in the new version of the Marvel Universe, which in looking up this would be then, unless things change by the you know at some point, which they might, would be the ninth version of the universe. Is it the ninth? I thought we were in the seventh. It was apparently the seventh. Galactus was from the sixth, right? And then it went to the seventh. The eighth. Was comes out of Secret Wars, the newer okay. Secret Wars. Oh, but because okay. of the events of Secret Wars, it's more. It even says it's more or less. A, it's more or less a continuation of the of the seventh. But with enough changes, of course, so they, when they were changed stuff, it's okay. You know, they gave them an excuse to change things, like Infinity Stones to. I mean, sorry, Infinity Gems to Infinity Stones. It's always going to be Infinity Gems for me. I can't. Uh, I I have to keep remembering which one it is if we're talking about specifics <laughs> you know when they're stones i'm going to call them stones because they are rocks right right but right. the soul gem is still a gem right so that one will always be called a gem no matter what but yes at the time i have to remember if i'm jumping back and forth and recording things i have to remember which era i'm talking about so i'm calling them the correct thing right did you read the most the the new defenders issue number one did you read that yet i read number one i have number two right here behind me i just haven't read it yet Okay, I guess that's where I got confused because they that's entitled the eighth cosmos uh, and Al Ewing is uh, sort of playing around with that that whole that's actually honest. That's the first time all of that language uh, that I was introduced to the idea of sixth reality or sixth cosmos, seventh reality. And then now that story is uh, entitled the eighth cosmos. So um, I am woefully ignorant 
to Al Ewing's writings. And uh, even though I know it's exactly everything I'm going to love, like like the Ultimates 2 and stuff, uh, just the cosmology that he's playing around with, he's almost very much like a like a like a descendant of Mark Runewald, you know, like in those yeah. early Quasar stories and, and oh, other yeah. places. So uh, so that's where I guess I, I got my uh, confused with like, I, I don't know what number one. On so yeah, so it's good, eight good currently know. seven was before Secret Wars. OK, and then Galactus is from six. And yeah, a lot of that stuff does come from Ultimates and Ultimates Two, the ones he wrote. Awesome. And from reading the back here also, some of it is even first mentioned briefly in the Morrison Marvel Boy series. Oh, right. Of, of right. course, he has to be involved somehow. Come on. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. And that's that to me, like that, that lore, that whole lore of um, Galactus being from a previous universe, right? Even before all these number things came into it uh, has been around for such a long time. And I love that they're still mining all of that. They're still mining, like, not only, you know, his transformation from one multiverse or one galaxy to the other, but you know, things going on in that new defenders book right now. One thing I learned, uh, two of the things you mentioned in like our emails or, or, or what the one big thing, like what are some of our favorite moments? But I think the other angle for me is what did I learn new, right? Like what, what new information do I learn from this kind of book that kind of helps me, it suddenly just like pings backwards to like 20 other books. Um, the notion that Galactus, it took time for Galactus to become Galactus in our universe. It wasn't like he just came from the Big Bang and it suddenly there right away. Yeah, he's you know, he was like this hunger force already. No, there's there's many, 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 many years, millennia of years that happen. And then he's born. And I was like, oh, see, that's interesting that, that I, I, I like that. I like that notion. Yeah, because he doesn't show up until not counting the frame, you know, the little framing story, page four. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of things that happened before. So let's get to the first page of that, which is the okay. beginning of the universe as the yep. old one just goes. You know, with his ship kind of floating through the new universe, you know, while he's still cooking, so to speak. <laughs> and we get the beginning of the uh, the beginning of all the abstract entities. Right. As they're born with the creation of the universe. So we get the, you know, the, the primal abstract entities, the eternity, infinity, oblivion, death, chaos and order. Right. I mean, they have also the living tribunal, but he's kind of. Goes, I mean, from what I understand, the Living Tribunal is from all, you know, there's one for all the realities. So mm-hmm. he predates all of that. Yeah, and all these, pretty much a lot of these concepts, the first time I really had a writer bring them all together was for Infinity Gauntlet. Um, Jim Starlin, George Perez, you know, when they, yeah. or, or, I, or I should say, I guess maybe Ron Lim, you know, when they all showed up and they were all going to fight Thanos. And I was like, Look at all these people. This is amazing. Yeah, because uh, you had bits and pieces before. Right. But never all together at one thing. Oh, and so- even created, I think, Love and Hate, one of them had appeared before, but I think the other one was created for Infinity Gauntlet. Oh, cool. I had I think- to look up I had to look up uh, Oblivion and Infinity. I've, I don't think I've ever seen them before. Oblivion, I believe, was from... 
the Iceman miniseries. Yeah, of all places, right? I know. <laughs> and I know he appeared a bit. I know Oblivion also appeared quite a bit in the Grimwald's Quasar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially leading up to issue 25. I have to read that series. I really do. I do need to reread because it has so much of this stuff involved. You know, it's involves so much of this stuff. Yeah. But we also have the creation of the Infinity Gems coming out of the basically the creation of the universe. Mm-hmm. So all that stuff is as old as the beginning of quote unquote time, you know, for that this universe at least. Right. And then we start getting the initial cre- you know things that come out of the universe that are actually living beings. We get the Phoenix Force, which apparently is what is it? It's a vestige from uh, Galactus's homeworld uh, universe. Mm-hmm. Manifestation of the universal force of life. And the Emkron crystal forming on the universe's first planet, which is I, I didn't realize that's where it initially was. So that's kind of a cool idea. Yeah. So I'm reading um, the the Claremont X-Men run off of uh, Giant Size for the first time. And I just read issue 107, which is the last Dave Cockrum drawn issue um, before Burn. And then Cockrum will come back later. But it's set on. Uh, a pl- it's set with the Macron crystal in the background and they keep talking about like this dialogue that said this world ancient before all of these people existed, this world, you know, has a special blah, blah, blah. It almost felt like the way they described um, battle world in, in secret, secret, the first secret wars where they're like, you know, we're going to bring all these people together and they have to fight for the destiny of the universe, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and so when, when I I already had that information in my head and then came across this and they're calling, they are calling it the very first planet within the Marvel universe. And it's like, Oh, see, that just makes that, that connection. There's, there's one of those backwards connections that makes those X-Men stories even grander. And speaking of the X-Men, we also have some of the first life forms in the universe, which is the Akanti. At least that's how I always pronounce it. Yep. Those giant space whales, which I first remember, I think that's where they first appeared is the X-Men stories at the brood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which we'll get to it in a page or two because the brood were control basically had enslaved a lot of them, and we're using them as living starships. And also the celestials showing up, which in my bit of the research doing this found out the celestials actually predate this universe. They come from the first universe. Oh right, where they talk about that in the in the appendix, right? Yeah, the yeah. first universe was like a it just existed on its own. It was like it was sentient and it was kind of bored and created things. And then some of its creations were all about just doing what it said. And then others, the Celestials, were basically like, no, we want to create life and let it go and see what happens. Right. And apparently, in a way, it was supposed to be it was kind of reflecting the cre- creation story with uh, God and the angels and the rebe- they, the Celestials are the rebellious angels. Oh, nice. It, apparently, in from what I was reading, they escaped the destruction of the last universe by going into some kind of uh, void or alternate dimension, and that apparently involves the character of Null from all the, you know, recent Venom stuff. Okay, he's everywhere. I don't really know much about, because beyond the Silver Surfer Black miniseries, I don't think I've been reading any, I've not read any of those things, so. Yeah, it, it's definitely an interesting concept, Null, but I think they're trying, they get, starting to get a little overused, where it's like showing up in almost everything, you know, every origin story, and it's like, okay, relax there. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I liked him in the Silver Surfer Black miniseries, plus that was, I thought that was beautiful to look at, so I was mm-hmm. happy with that. But yeah, I'm just not the biggest Venom fan. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I the Venom I liked was actually the issue, the series where it was um, Flash Thompson running around as Venom. Oh, right. When he was the mercenary. Yeah. Agent Venom or whatever it was like. Yeah, that was more interesting to me. So it's like, OK, Eddie Brock's Venom again. That's nice. Like you like it. That's wonderful. But just not my thing. <laughs> and we also get the elder, you know, the elders of the universe as apparently they are the. Well, we were I mean, this is what already established. They are the last survivors of all the earliest races that were. That came about. Mm-hmm. And so they are the last one. And, you know, of course, partially living because they have their obsessions. So, of course, we have the collector, which I kind of like how the collector is like a half version here between traditional comic collector and Benicio del Toro. Mm-hmm. Although Grandmaster still looks like the Grandmaster. He does not resemble Jeff Goldblum at all. Right. And the champion, the gold, the, the gardener. Uh, oh, oh. That's right. I was thinking about the champion recently. I was listening to some other show and they were talking about um, Nicolas Cage uh-huh. and about you know, like the fact that it's though like he is a huge comic fan. I mean, come on. He named his kid Kal-El. Right. Like, you know, even though like Ghost Rider wasn't the best movie, let's say, but like he really does, you know, want to do it, you know, want to be involved in that somehow. He loves comics and he does have like, especially in some of his movies, like that kind of crazy energy. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? He could be fun as the champion. <laughs> I mean, he could be a fun version of Champion that they want to do the Elder. Just have him go up against, yeah, uh, you know, the, the strong characters of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, just let him go nuts. <laughs> and we, of course, have you know the the creation of Eon, you know, the big old tree-looking guy with you know eyes here and a face here. He is, and with hair on top. I don't get why. Why does Starla put hair on top of him? It's just so weird. It's like he has a wig on. Such an odd design. You have to. I have to assume if, if Starlin was doing something on something at the time we created Eon. I have a. What magazine is it? I think it might be like an uh, an old comic book artist magazine that is all about. I don't know if you have this. It's all about kind of like the seventies Marvel. And what city were they in? Ohio or there's there's like a maybe Detroit. There's like a a group of these creators that all lived kind of in the same area. I, I know. I think Starlin is from Detroit, and so was I okay. Ogram and a couple others. So right, right, probably Detroit. And so it's like when you read it, you kind of get that impression that they that's the reason why they came up with a lot of those very metaphysical stories and cause you know horror stories and cosmology kind of stories because they were you know yeah. riffing on ideas in one way or another so yeah no i mean i have read i didn't yeah i have read enough stuff to know that yeah saying that i mean it may not be for specific events but yeah that's not just making up stuff it has been said before that they were on certain things right walk around cities at night talking and doing things you know Ditko's the one that from what we understand was not creating all the crazy stuff and not doing anything right he just was a madman he just well yeah he was tapping into uh just a whole other like kirby just a whole other plane of imagination yeah and then we also have the watchers here with the most boring planet name ever, Planet T-37X. That sounds like something the Watchers would name their planet. That spread is probably one of my favorites in the whole issue because I love, I, I love the Marvel. I love concepts that it, that can really only exist within a certain publisher. You know, like 
these characters were created to explain the Marvel universe or to be that kind of like higher source of beings for the Marvel universe. And you could certainly have a Phoenix force like entity in the DC universe, but it wouldn't be original. Right. Yeah. Um, Just like it works the opposite way. There are certain characters in the DC universe that are for the DC universe. Um, And so, so, and they're all like, most of them are like right here on the page and the previous page, the watcher, the eternals. The, so I love, I'm, I, I love the celestials. Uh, yeah. So I, so this, this definitely was one of my favorite pages. And that's true. Cause yeah, you don't really have that. Cause like DC doesn't really have a lot of these abstract cosmic characters. No, they do. And, and when they do, they feel very like cut from a Marvel cloth. Like they do have a, a female version of like entity uh, of eternity called Kismet. Yes, I re- that's right. I remember from this. It was in the Superman books from the nineties. Right, I that. right. Yeah, and I, I specifically always come to mind like a very strong Tom Grummet version of that character. Um, now you did have something like before Neil Gaiman, you had that character Destiny that had the the Book of uh, Souls. I think it is that's chained to his wrist. Oh yes. Um, but a lot of those characters, they, you know, they started from the horror line and they just were sort of like narrators. And then eventually they, you know, Gaiman was the one that kind of moved them to a higher concept. Yeah, moved them all in, you know, yeah, like you said, Destiny and right. uh, what was what was the, uh, her name? Um, Eve and Cain and Abel, obviously. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and it then, goes by the, the lines that the publishers did. I mean, DC had those horror books. Right. That Marvel didn't. Marvel's horror books were more combination horror hero you know mm-hmm, dracula mm-hmm. frankenstein son of satan dc took a different route right and and they managed to create their own thing you know once you get the endless i mean like that's you can't if marvel tries to do something like that you it obviously feels like they're trying to tap into that same energy energy so i love the ones that are like specifically for the universe which this whole page and the and same thing with galactus um it just speaks to what I love about each particular universe. Yeah, they get to do when they do their own thing and not just copy. Right, right. When they're not just trying to do the same thing, which is always good because that gives you a reason to read different things. Otherwise, why would you bother? Just read the one. It's the same. Right. It's gonna be the same thing. Yeah, you know, I mean, occasionally, yes, you get some things that are copies, but they're kind of meant to be copies. Like just going from this. Uh, what, what's their name? Uh, the Imperial Guard. Oh, sure. Right. But they were meant to be an homage to the Legion. Right. Exactly. It's meant to tug on those strings, you know. And at least they've done something, at least while they don't do a lot with them, what they have done with them is very different than the Legion. You know, it's not like they're taking the same trajectory. Right. Exactly. And now we finally get to the Galactus page. Although first we get the introduction of the Brood. The universe's first natural predators. I love like this kind of symbolic way of the brood, like just all swarming down towards the Acanti. Ugh, those things are always creepy. Who who knew an, uh, a ripoff of Alien would be so <laughs> important in the Marvel universe? <laughs> I didn't realize they were one of the, they were that long lived. Yeah, apparently. I mean, I don't know how when that was established. Yeah, or if that's something that he's establishing here. And then, of course, we have Galactus finally coming out. As this is when he finally emerges. And even uh, I like how throughout the page we have the last few pages we have his ship 
flying out from the pre- previous reality, going through and changing and evolving to be the matrix that he's living in. Mm-hmm. So while everything's happening, you kind of have a Galactus floating until finally here he's being born. Right. All that Kirby design. Yeah. And so Galactus finally lives. And this is all before the creation of Earth, even, because that's what comes next. On one of the other pages, I really love how he desi- how he did it. This cool interpretation of like early Earth, prim- primordial Earth, with the elder gods and the demons. And then some some are some are above and some are below, and and you yeah. know what is what does that mean? And 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 just out of nowhere, the sun itself uh, looking like a cave painting or something and and there's a personification of the face of the sun or is it meant to be somebody you know i just thought that was yeah it's uh, like yeah it's not yeah it's not like it's a it's not like it's fire coming out the sun it's almost like a beard or hair yeah and wade the narrow the 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 caption box around an otherwise unremarkable yellow star the earth formed it's like, whoa okay I mean, I guess that's to show, you know, out of, you know, it was just sort of this quiet thing that just happened, yet it'll become the most important planet in, you know, Marvel Comics. Well, up until very recently, when I say recently, maybe the last 20 years or so, for the most part, whenever alien races were talking about Earth, it's like, oh, that place. I think I've heard of it. Right, right. Backwards piece of crap. That happens to always beat us, but backwards piece of crap. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) And we get the, you know, the Elder Gods, Gaia, Oster, Set, and... I always pronounce it Chathon, but who knows? I don't think that's a word that's ever meant to be pronounced. Right. It took the 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 beast when when I saw the beast that took me a little. I had to research a little in, in the appendix and elsewhere before I went. Oh, now I know who that is. Okay. Yeah, that's what the hand based their whole yeah thing on because I didn't know I didn't know what that was at first either. I'm like, what is this thing? Because all the other ones I've heard of before. Mm-hmm. But the you know because we also get you know Yagskrill the uh, World Tree mm-hmm. and Celestial, but it's like who's the Beast? Right. Yeah, that took me that took me a minute. But yeah, so you got all the Elder Gods and all this stuff, which is always a cool thing. Yeah, I remember reading that one of those Thor annuals that they keep referencing that had a lot of a lot of this uh, history, but then also a real good companion for this book is is any of the handbooks you know and i think some of the images in the appendix i probably first saw in the handbook of these elder gods of them being born i love how these guys though show up in the weirdest of places like Oster, you hear a lot mentioned from doctor strange mm-hmm. but like chathon shows up a lot with like the Avengers, when it comes involving quicksilver and the scarlet witch but also involving the uh new men in the high evolutionary Oh, right, right. And then, of course, Mor- Morgan Le Fay and... And Spider-Woman, even. Yeah, the whole dark hole thing, which th- these co- those connections are really fun to discover uh, throughout yeah. this. Which, yeah, which, because the dark hole connects to uh, Werewolf by Night. And I guess and you're it, right. Like, the, all the Doctor Strange... I remember, I, I, I read... I was reading Doctor Strange, like, in the 80s, just a few issues around the Paul Smith stuff. And there was all kinds of talks about the, you know, different the different books like Book of Vishanti and and the Darkhold, and I was like, ooh, this is all, ooh, this is fascinating. I like this. Yeah, and I remember seeing Set a lot back in the '80s and stuff when like Conan was still tech. You know, the first time Conan was part of the Marvel universe. Right, right. 
And there was like, I remember he was fighting like him or like, no, or uh, was it, who was the other one? The Atlantean King Cole? Is that was his name? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Would fight like, you know, set snake men and stuff. Right. Right. Oh, and of course, of course, the big play I saw was Atlantis Attacks. Which I haven't read. I still haven't read. Really? Yeah. There's a lot of those big Marvel annual events during like the late 80s, early 90s that I didn't read because I was either out of comics or not getting a a lot of Marvel at that time. Yeah. Evolutionary War, I only read like an annual or two because I was just starting stuff. But Atlantis Attacks, I think I picked up most of them because that was like one of the you know earlier crossovers I was reading. Mm hmm. I got most, I remember reading most of those. It, the part I really liked about those was the history part in the back. The, each one had like a backup story by Grunewald in, you know, in the order that it was supposed to be, which was like the origin of uh, the Serpent Crown, for instance. Oh, so the whole history of that, like how it went from Namor, you know, how it was created and was lost and found and then like was right. used against Namor and that's why he had lost his memory. I'm going to have to read that. Of course, written by Mark Grunewald. And now we have the scrolls first showing up, which are, you know, because of the celestials, because basically the scrolls are the deviants of their world. Right. It's just in that world, they killed all the Eternals and regular people. <laughs> and now this is kind of like, I love the stages that, that this book shows. You know, you have, you, you have the, the hint of what came before this universe, creating this universe. Then you have those abstracts who then are now creating not quite the anything to do with humans just yet, but like they're also creating like the next layer closer to humans, you know, the whether it's like aliens or they're mucking around with the, uh, you know, different planets, different alien cultures like it, there's there's a really interesting layering effect getting closer and closer to to, you know earth yeah and also i like this page because you get a bunch of different alien races and you kind of see like where they were at at similar times right so like the scroll you know like you get the scrolls and like apparently they were one of the earlier races formed that are still around and then we get the creation of the savage land by a different alien race which bizarrely enough that you get well i mean i guess it sort of makes sense because of where it takes place but it's kind of weird to have this kind of thing comes from the kazar series from the 80s Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, it's the Savage Line. It makes sense. He lives there. But, like, really, Kazar's the place where you're doing this, like, grand, you know, big alien story. <laughs> and then the Shi'ar start, you know, the Shi'ar starts evolving. And then it's kind of funny. Like, you're, oh, yeah, they're all, they're all evolving. And then, like, oh, yeah. And then on Xandar, yeah, they're already evolved. They got the Nova Corps already. The, the universe's first space militia. Overseen by the world mind, which is kind of fun because... They're playing. They were playing with that a bit. That concept a bit over in uh, House of X, Powers of X. Oh, I don't know if you read any of that. I did. I, I'm trying to make that connect. I'll have to go back and see what that connection is. It's one of the things. I think it's one of the. I think it's in more in Powers of X where they're talking about the future and they're talking about uh, like the way he's mixing in like how the uh, the phalanx and like war, you know trying to putting in how like how that all fits in together with the phalanx, but with Warlock and the Mega still. Oh, okay. They're the same race, technically, of them, but they're very different from the Phalanx. How, like, it's like different life stages. Mm. And how, like, evolved worlds go from, like, you know, civilizations go to the point of being, like, a world, you know, a world mind, it's called. I'm like, I know that from the Nova stuff. Oh, right. Yeah. Which is, like, you know, 
kind of the same as like the Eternals and and the Unimind and sort of how the Kree had the supreme intelligence. You know? yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So kind of like okay. putting that all in on like a certain thing of like certain, you know, once a race hits a certain level, they're going to start doing this. Mm. And then, of course, we get the whole story of the Kree in the blue area of the moon. Mm-hmm. Which I always find amusing, like the scrolls were like, we're going to let you guys, you know, it's kind of they're still kind of dicks, even when they're being benevolent. <laughs> you know, if you read those ones at the, uh, with the, the Kotai and the, the Kree. If you read right. that stories, Cree scroll war and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, we're going to give you guys our technology and help you, but only one of you. So you guys figure out who it's going to be like, oh, God, you guys are dicks. No wonder somebody. Of course, somebody was going to kill the other one eventually. <laughs> Doesn't speak well for the Cree, though. Yeah. You know. They do come off way worse because you yeah. know, at least the scrolls were not happy with the whole, you know, genocide. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's still it's very similar to the uh, the lesson learned by the watchers. Right. Right. Except they went a different route. And now we finally have, you know, life on Earth evolving and the, the celestial, you know, celestial is coming to Earth and all the stuff that you would get from Jack Kirby's uh, Eternal series where they created, you know, the celestials muck about with Earth and create the deviants and the Eternals and the uh, regular, you know, leave regular humans both the potential for the X, you know, mutation right. which is why we get so many mutants and you know transferred humans who just don't die of radiation poisoning <laughs> and i love this whole scene of all the deviants just walking off my favorite is that giant whale guy it's it it's like so it's, yeah it's so clever like the just just the the idea that the eternals go high the deviants go low i mean it's just so it's just great storytelling I, I love all that. I love uh, I love that story of the Eternals because it's like, oh, that makes sense now. At least you give a very, you know, quickly and a very simple, you're like, oh, that's why, you know, stuff happens to people. Right. And they don't just die. Some people don't just die. Yeah. And I knew that was like a thing. Like, I knew that was something that the Celestials had, had done to us or, you know, the, the humans of the Marvel Universe. Um, and I knew that they did that with the scrolls. I I was a little confused in the previous page. So they say the progenitors are the ones that mucked around with the Cree. Um, and I I wondered if that was like relatively new. And then you look at the appendix and it it, it is kind of a new, uh, a little bit more of a newer concept, I think. Yeah. It says goes back to Royals. Um, I wasn't sure in my memory. I was like, okay, I know the Celestials did this, this, and this. I thought they were also with the Cree, but that turns out not to be the case. But then now there's this new layer on top of it. So that got a little, that was, I had to like kind of unwrap that in my mind as I read that. Yeah. And it also works a little bit, at least for me, because it helps explain a bit Thanos's look. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Because yeah, maybe they mucked about a bit. Maybe they apparently maybe threw some deviant stuff here and there just to see what would happen. So he kind of has, because that's supposed to be why he looks the way he does. He has like kind of a deviant throwback look you know gene which also explains right. why he looks that chin is very scroll like yeah yeah because originally you'd just be like well why does he look like a scroll especially once you learn he's an eternal it's like but why does he look this way right and it's like oh okay now that all makes sense and then of course we get a very recent event the what was the year there was supposed to be one million one billion i don't know what year it was but yeah, the prehistoric it was like, avengers you see yeah yeah 
which I don't know how I feel about that one. I haven't really read much with them yet, but at least they kind of, for the most part, pick concepts that were supposed to exist. So right. like a ghost rider, like, yes, Mephi- you know, well, he's not really in here. You know, we obviously would have had Mephisto or some kind of demons already. So at least you can have something like that. Yeah, I was I was surprised that they didn't show Mephisto considering they bring him up later like that. I thought that was unless they're going to do save it for the next issue. But I thought that was a kind of a, a an odd, uh, you know, an odd uh, whatever the word is, you know, that they that they didn't have him in here. I was like, uh, you couldn't even throw him in like during all the the, the demons and the elder god stuff and. You know what? I even though I said it, I didn't really think about that. But you're right; there is no mention of Mephisto, and he is a big part of the Marvel universe. I know, I know. I mean, they they mention he he's mentioned during the El Diablo stuff later, but he's never he's not seen. And yeah, they don't they don't mention any of them. Yeah, so it's like Satanish. where does that where does that yeah. fit in? So maybe we're gonna I guess maybe we'll get that in one of the I'm others. I'm trying to remember. Maybe yeah. But here's one of the the things I think might be one of the first. I mean, yes, we've obviously, like you said, the stuff that comes from Royals with the Cree is obviously pretty recent. Yeah. But here's one of the first things I'm thinking that might be definitely a change from because, you know, they can say because of Secret Wars from one reality to the other. Because who's mm-hmm. part of this Avengers one million or whatever? Starbrand. Right. Which was from new the new universe line. And while it was brought into the Marvel Universe, that was brought in to the Quasar going to that universe. Mm hmm. And now we're seeing that, no, there was a star brand back then. To, to create a being that could be kind of like a Hulk yeah. character. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the Phoenix made sense. The Odin, obviously, in all of his iterations, that kind of makes sense. Um, I wasn't familiar with Black Panther, but I, I, I sort of was like, okay, I guess you could take it all the way back to BC. That, that kind of makes sense. I I actually think the the Ghost Rider run is a little a stretch, but uh, but for design purposes, you know, a woolly mammoth on fire that's kind of awesome. Yeah, that is um, cool. magic. Okay, because the magic comes from right. a lot of the magic comes from those elder gods, so they already existed. I don't know enough, and since they don't mention Kun Lun here at all, I don't know much about what why about an Iron Fist, whether that would make sense or not. Right, right. I mean, you know, I get it. You know, they, they, they're trying to create the Avengers of the BC universe. That's a, a fun concept. And then they're just going to say, hey, even if it doesn't make sense, here are the things that, you know, if when you when you're talking about energies and you're talking about things that power people, that stuff can't it's it's like you know whatever the science of it is right you can't destroy it. You can only change it or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah energy cannot be created or destroyed. It just right. changes. So it makes sense that a lot of these things are uh, that can be long lived. A lot of the thi- a lot of these things are exactly a lineage kind of power, right? Black Panther obviously is all about lineage. Uh, uh, the Sorcerer Supreme is all about lineage. Um, the the Iron Fist eventually became like that Ed Brubaker Matt Fraction series when they finally really Immortal Iron Fist yeah yeah when they opened up that that whole concept that was amazing you know so of course it, this it it has precedence so yeah um it's a it's a kitschy group but but I love it I do I do love it no I, I mean it, it's just still fun but yeah sometimes I'll, I just look at it sometimes I go like well how does that work I will and maybe not more me nitpicking but more me wanting to 
go back and read stuff and look at it. I go, well, does, like, how does that work with an Iron Fist? Like, did it come right. from Earth? Did it come from Kunlun? In which case, why isn't Kunlun mentioned? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of more wanted, wanted to see that stuff. And by the way, speaking of that, that was one of my disappointments with the Iron Fist Netflix TV show, since that immortal Iron Fist had been out already. I kind of hoped that they would they would do that, something like that, where like every three or four episodes we would get a story of a previous Iron Fist. Mm, right, right. That would be great. Plus, that would help a bit with some of those Netflix shows where sometimes they kind of, at least for me, it felt like they kind of were stretching a bit. Mm. And what made it easier, it's like, no, we don't have to do a 13 episode story. It's only nine episodes. We're doing four, you know, fill-ins with right. previous Iron Fists. But anyway, that's just a bit of digression. I don't do an Iron Fist show, so, you know, it's my one chance to say something about it. <laughs> How often? I mean, Iron Fist is not going to show up much in my in this show. Does anybody do an Iron Fist podcast? I don't even know. I'm sure yes. somebody has to. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. It seems yes, like everything is. everything is well covered these days. Yeah, I'm part of a group called The Collective that's kind of like doing a... You know, different podcasts, and they uh, one of them is an one of them does have an Iron Fist show. Nice, nice. So, but yeah, at this point, yeah, everything's kind of well covered. Any niche you are interested in, you can find something. You can have somebody talking about it, right? And now, speaking of mucking about with the people of Earth, we also get the Kree coming here finally and creating the Eternals, the Inhumans. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You're right. I. You know what? I get those mixed up sometimes. <laughs> You know, secret secret societies of super evolved humans that were wrecked right. about by aliens. Kirby loves that concept. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Uh, Kirby is all over this page, all over this this book. Oh God, yeah. And Tuck the Cave Boy. Now there's something I learned. I I love this page because I did not know who this character was. Right. And at least in terms of the history, calling him the first offspring of the Inhumans lived among the mortals. Uh, you know, and then again, here's that same notion. His unique genetic code passed down through generations increased ordinary human susceptibility to mutations. So he's kind of like um, in Battlestar Galactica, you know, the, 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 the child of the. The one Cylon and the human becomes kind of like the basis for humans. If you ever saw the, yeah, the revamp battles, yeah, or even um, just in real life, Genghis Khan, right, right. Like how many percentage of people they say in the world are descended from Genghis Khan in some way, shape, or form? So I I didn't know about this Took character, right? So I looked it up and I was like, oh my god, he's from first of all, he's from Captain America comics number one. Secondly, they absolutely say. First of all, that his name means Avenger. Come on. And it's, this is all by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. Mm -hmm. And that he's searching for Adelan, the island of the gods, years before there ever was an Inhuman. So uh, clearly Kirby recreated or... or uh, was reusing know. the concept and the name. Yeah. And now it works out perfectly now because it's like, hey, this is perfect. It's all there. It's, yeah. it, it writes itself. I mean, you know, Morrison always saying how comics sometimes take on life, a life of their own. I mean, this is a clear example of that. Yeah. And this is very much like a, oh, I don't know, like an anthro or a commandy before commandy. And um, I love how he fits. I'm fairly certain that this whole even in the appendix does say. You know, don't, don't confuse the Adelan with the Inhuman Adelan, but but obviously this story is is really mushing them together, which is well, awesome. 
which, which is got, which was a little confusing though, because they're in this in the story itself. They're saying it is Adelan. Right. He's saying the first offspring of the Inhumans. Right. And but then I guess maybe the appendix was saying at the time, don't you know when it was first brought up? Because Adelan has moved a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. But. I mean, I love this connection. I really, when I read this, I was like, okay, you could give me an entire series with this boy now, you know, trying to find his people, talking about the early in humans, you know, like you could give me a whole book on that. I'd read it. And I did read back a while ago. I did read those Tuck K-Boy stories. He's only like the first five issues, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like a weird prehistoric thing. There's like different monster men and other types of early you know, not human creatures, which does kind of fit in with a lot of stuff they've done over the years of like, you know, how Set had created like the snake men that were running around. Right, right. You know, you could always say some of these are deviants. So great. Such a, such a great, I've, I've been writing in my notes that whenever they get to a place where I think they're creating new history for this book by kind of pulling from different segments, I call it, uh, I say, ooh, here's my here's another Sanderson moment where it's like, you know, Peter Sanderson did all that research and was able to help to make connections later, like especially in the DC universe where they connected like the guardians of the ga- of the universe with the controllers. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's like that kind of moment where where stories that were so random, like we just talked about, yet they fit perfectly. And then here comes Mark Wade and his collaborators and they make it work. It's like, oh. That got Sanderson. I love it. Yeah, no, it, it's so much fun when they were able to put all this stuff together, looking at the whole history of it, like you said, and just like, oh, these are connections that no one even intended on. Right. But they did it just the same. And it works. And we get then the creation of the master of the world. Mm-hmm. Which, to be fair, well, not the greatest villain, you know, not the most successful villain. You can understand why he went crazy. <laughs> 30, I mean, 30,000 years of torture. Yeah. yeah. As he finds that Plodex ship, decides to pull him in and go experiment him over and over. I mean, that's really cruel. I mean, you have to imagine John Byrne was probably feeling really pissed one day when he did this. He's like, I'm going to get back at you. You're tortured for 30,000 years. Yes. <laughs> and, and plus, I do like how this was the thing we're now getting chronology so we get an idea like okay now now we get varney the first vampire being created from chiton soul you know um scrolls so we have an idea that vampires predate the sinking of atlantis because that's the next part right right that was a, a fun thing that i learned from the marvel saga was how this this you know the the myth of the great flood this is marvel's version although there's been several but it's like they kind of mush them all together you know atlantis the the celestial host attacking the deviants and it's all sort of connected and this is why we get atlantis and atlanteans and and lemuria under sea like it just it's a perfect mix yeah and the arrival then of even though odin existed already and i do like how they work that in that like the Ragnarok is a cycle. It keeps happening over and over right, again. Right. But we have all the other gods showing up, which would make sense because that's, you know, kind of where, you know, all those religions, you know, and even in our world, Atlantis is supposed to predate, you know, the Greeks and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And Agamotto, tra- you know, training people to be ma- magic. And then. Selene. I like the next- 
yeah, we get Selene and Ulysses Bloodstone. Mm-hmm. And I like it says, immortality manifested twice in relatively short order. <laughs> As we get Selene and 7,000 years later, <laughs> Ulysses Bloodstone. It's like, well, for an immor- on that timeline, you know, it's pretty short. You know, we're going by like the, you know, paleontology timeline. It's pretty close. <laughs> but I love that that marks her as being, you know, older than just everybody you know like older than than thanos older than who's the one oh thor thor older than thor older than uh apocalypse like that's really cool and now here's that another layer again right like we've had this we've had this the abstracts then creating like sort of these long-lived aliens now we're getting even closer like a new version of gods right and it's like we're getting closer and closer to humanity so uh, really great page and atlantis finally being found under the sea and being starting their empire mm-hmm. so giving you an idea that atlantis predates because we're going to get to egypt in a little bit so atlantis predates you know that civilization predates ancient egypt mm-hmm. just to help us it also help, you know helps because at least most people even they don't know exactly have an idea of when ancient egypt was so at least it kind of gives most of us an idea of like okay that's how old it is right you know and we get the whole thing with the the Inhumans creating the Alpha Primitives, you know, because they're jerks. And uh, Vibramium crashing into Wakanda. Yeah. And, the, you know, the death of Kronos and Zorus taking over. And I like how they write here, uh, Zorus and Alars divided the task of leadership. It's like, no, they didn't. Zorus took over and Alars just left. That's not really dividing the task of leadership. That's like saying in any presidential election, we divide the task of leadership between the two <laughs> candidates. Yeah, one wins and one loses. They had to they have to sanitize it because of the movie coming up. So I guess maybe they just need. Oh, okay, let's not make. We're you know these are supposed to be benevolent. You know, so they shouldn't be. I, I, can't be I strife. Mean, to be fair, in that original story, they, it is pretty benevolent. Alars is like, you know what? You're better to lead these people, and it's better if I leave. leave so no one, there's no conflict of anyone trying to follow me. Right. So I mean, he, you know, at least he did it him, you know, himself. It was like he was driven away. They didn't fight. You know, there had been an eternal civil war before him, before this, which is how they get. Uh, you get like the uh, outpost on um, Uranus, which is where the uh, the original Marvel Boy character. Comes oh right, from. right, yeah. Because that was some Eternals who had left from the previous civil war before this. But yeah, and then he goes there and he finds, you know, some of the people who were left over from that. And that's how we get Star Fox and Thanos. Yeah, Star Fox also well-lived, long-lived. Just because it's his younger brother doesn't mean he's that little. It's not like he's 20. Yeah. <laughs> he's still, you know, by the time he, we first see him in, you know, Captain Marvel, he's like a couple thousand years old. Uh, and of course we get Fin Fang Foom. I didn't realize he was an alien that became a dragon. I thought, I don't know what I thought Fane Fang Foom was, but now that I, I, I learned a little more about him, I was like, oh, he's a shapeshifter from another planet. Okay, I didn't know that. I just knew he was had a fun name. Yeah, and a fun look. I, I do like when they're able to, I mean, I don't want to do all of them because there's so many of them, but I do like when they were able to merge in some of these old monster stories in. Right, right. Like him or Groot. You know, and obviously it did something different with them. And now we get to the ancient Egypt page where we get you know, all the stuff that comes from Egypt, including Ramatut mm-hmm. and Apocalypse and the Sphinx. 
and the creation, uh, throwing in that Hickman stuff, right, from S.H.I.E.L.D. The, mm-hmm. with Imhotep and creating the Brotherhood of the S.H.I.E.L.D. So it's like, I feel like this might be one of the first times that they had they had the chance to incorporate it into like the mar- larger Marvel universe outside of that Shield book. You know? Yeah, because I don't really remember much stuff outside of that. Like nothing with Nick Fury really right. showed that Shield. It was just the regular Shield. Yeah, and it was such. I get, it was so interesting that Shield book was so good. First of all, um, but I don't know if it was because the second volume was because of the delays or whatever. It's kind of like they. Hickman played around with a lot of that stuff, but not many other people did, um, at least not like to a major degree, right? I think part of it maybe is because they didn't know how to play with it. I kind of go with that because, I mean, it's similar in terms to like Grant Morrison's new X-Men. Yeah. And then what happens when he leaves? Right. They have to kind of we just go back to right, was what we did before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's very true of Morrison. Morrison was... The king of sort of like, uh, you know, like a new king. Like Starlin is also like Starlin. All these people who who are not. I almost feel like they do it almost on accident that they totally redefine and create these corners of the different publishers and layer it. I mean, you're doing, you know, your podcast is all about that and just layering uh, all new concepts. And when it when a when a writer can play with it and do it well it's awesome you know like i th- i think of when giffen did thanos uh, you know right before mm. annihilation like i just loved yeah. that new approach to thanos but then there's other writers who are like well like after new x-men that that x-men after new x-men was not one of the best x-men runs you know and it's like no they, i, I stopped reading because capture like, it's just what we had before right exactly and I feel like that's what this Hickman, sometimes that happens to Hickman, too, that his concepts are just a little too, they're so Hickman-y that other people don't know how to, like, deep dive into it. Uh, although, you know, the, the whole new House of X, power of, Powers of X stuff is, you know, with him in charge of it and able to mm-hmm. spread his ideas, it has worked. Yeah. But this, but for this issue, this, this S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff, I'm, I'm so glad they incorporated it. Yeah, it, it counts, because it does come up at least one other time in this issue. Right. But before and on the panel before that, we get the Ramatut, and I like all the little images, and I like how he did it with like he made it like hieroglyphics with Kang yeah. and Amortis and Scarlet Centurion, and I like how there's also legs underneath a panel. It's like eh, we're gonna leave an option to have something else. Maybe he did right. something else too. So good. That's a that's a wacky bit of somebody. I mean, I know there's a Kang miniseries right now, but uh, oh, that's I mean, a deep it, dive. You know, Avengers Forever. Yeah, oh, love that, love that. I mean, that's a thing I would love to, if I had time to do, like, a, a series on that, a podcast on that, going through all that stuff. Because the whole, you know, go, diving into that whole history of Kang and everything, just Ooh. that is just amusing. Plus, I don't know, if you, have you seen, the, I don't know if you're watching any of the stuff on Disney+. Plus. I'm a little behind. Oh, have I you seen Loki? I have, no, I haven't seen Loki, but apparently I know some things about it, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just, yeah, if you see Loki, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so we're getting forward in time now, because we're getting more towards, I would say, more, this is all more towards, like, you know, the middle, getting near, like, the Dark Ages, so to speak, as right. they called it, or right. the Middle Ages. We get the formation of the Hand and the Chaste in, out in Japan, with the the Hand worshippers of the Ancient Beast, mm-hmm. going back to those early pages, and the birth of Thor. Mm-hmm. 
So while a god and immortal, he is not older than a lot of the things. Selene and Apocalypse predate him. At least according to this, yeah. Yeah. And Tyrannus. Yep, that was another thing I discovered about the Marvel saga, I think. I don't know. I, I can't remember if you were in on that thread about, like, you know, that there was multiple under, there's multiple places under the earth. And, like, wow, did they ever connect them? And they're like, yeah, it's a whole Marvel event. And I was like, oh, I oh, didn't know right. that. Oh, that's right, yeah. That, and, yeah, I, I have to still read that. I read, like, only know of it. But, yeah, it was, like, a couple of the annuals. It was, like, some kind of war with all of them. Subterranean war, yeah. Or something that's like it. That. Yeah. So yeah. very cool that he's here. Yeah. And here's that other part from S.H.I.E.L.D. where it says, when a celestial's impending childbirth threatened Earth, Zhang Hang of the Brotherhood of the S.H.I.E.L.D. arranged for it to give birth in the sun instead. Like there. Did they ever follow up on that? Maybe they did in the S.H.I.E.L.D., but I don't I just don't remember. Yeah, I, I need to reread that one because like said, like you said, the one of the problems with the, the, the delays, you know, it's easier to remember these things when you read them month in, month out. Right, right. You know. When there's like a six to eight month period in between, I, I think it actually took a couple years for that last year's issue to come out, in fact. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. By the time I, I love, read that, I forgot it. <laughs> I do love uh, secret organizations in any any publishing line. I, I'm a huge fan of, like, some people, sometimes they're, they're like, there's just too many of them. Like, nope, nope, give me more. I love everything about them. Uh you know, when when Marvel created the Illuminati, I was like all for it. And, and yeah. it just I, it just makes sense that there would be, you know, so many different factions vying for whatever. And uh, branching out of each other, changing. Sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, one of the fun things I loved is when I think it was uh, you no know, Hickman. That's right. He did. It. He started it when uh, was his new Avengers and Avengers when Sunspot took over, bought AIM and took it over. <laughs> It's like, nope, nope, you're not evil anymore. Do the same crazy science, but we're doing for good guys now. Oh, that's awesome. And we have here Camelot with the original Black Knight and the current Sorcerer Supreme at this time, Merlin. Didn't know that. Me either. And I wonder how that works, because it seems like for the most part, we saw like the Sorcerer Supreme would like become the Sorcerer Supreme and eventually get old eventually. Right. And have a, you know, have his new disciple who become the new Sorcerer Supreme. I mean, they even right. play with that a bit in uh, Jim Valentino's run of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Where Doctor Strange is still alive, but he's the ancient one at that point. I don't know if you read that series back in like no, the early 90s. No. That's another one that's, uh, the, uh, I'm sure would be well loved, but no, I haven't, I haven't dipped into that. Yeah, I didn't really read the issues after that, after he left. Because apparently they did a I was just reading a whole thing on the Guardians of the Galaxy, the Guardians of the Galaxy issue and back issue. Oh, OK. And they do a lot with the original team, but also with his run. He, in fact, I don't know about the other guys, but he actually was offering to still stay on the book, even though he was going image. He was not going to just jump. He was offering to stay. But they told him, no, go away. Well, they lost. Yeah, ex exactly. Because like ap like I read the next few issues, which were an Infinity War crossover. But I'm like, these are not that good. Yeah. And dropped it promptly. But when he was doing it, he was doing a lot of fun stuff. Plus, that's where you get Taserface from. <laughs> which was created by his five-year-old his his five -year -old at the time. That's funny. It also works in a lot because it had... Uh, they had the Universal Church of Truth and the, and a new Magus. Uh, so you could dip into a lot of that, that oh, yeah. concept. And the, yeah. And uh, the character of the protege, who was like a beyonder... And in fact, I found out from that thing, the uh, Yondu, if you remember the character Yondu mm -hmm. from the original sure. Guardians? Yeah. 
his god Anthos. I think that was how it's pronounced. Which I'm not sure if that predates his series or not. He basically was going to reveal that Anthos, because it's an anagram of Thanos. Oh, look at that. He was going to tie all. He that was because they talked to him like, "What were your plans?" Because he was going to go to at least fifty. He had plans up to issue fifty, but he left at like twenty six or twenty seven. Now you just mentioned something that is not in this uh, volume. I don't know. Maybe it'll be in the next one. Um, no Beyonder. No Beyonder stuff. True. No Beyonder or Beyonders. Beyonders, I should say. Either. Yeah, no, no. No. They're they're not around. Yeah, because they kind of were weren't they? Because like, like initially they were plural. Because that Marvel 2-in-1 story is the first one I could think of where they show up where Counter-Earth gets sucked away. Mm. So they get rid of counter It's like the... It's the issues with, like, the Thing and, like... It's, well, obviously the Thing, Marvel 2-in-1. But with him and, like, Moondragon and Star Fox and then there's, like, an Adam Warlock? Because, you know, Warlock was dead at the time. Right, right. And it's how about Counter-Earth vanished. And apparently someone was... People were hired by the Beyonders because they wanted to study it so fascinating so we'll have to see if they maybe maybe they include it later yeah which is again the thing with the history of that stuff it's like we're so used to just there being the beyonder right that then when hickman you know hickman did it like the beyonders it's like no that's not a new concept that's going back before the original you know the first beyonder was around yeah and then the whole thing with like mixing them up with the cosmic cubes and et cetera, et cetera. yeah um by the way you mentioned you mentioned yondu and then um I forgot uh, if we go back to that took page again, where they're talking about the Cree messing with messing around with humans, they make reference that they also did it. They also messed around, quote unquote, in humans. And the appendix says they also mucked around with like the Badoon, the Centurions, which Yandu is a Centurion. Yes. And, and the Chameleons from Power Pack. That's um, right, because Hickman did brought them in. Yeah. In Fantastic Four, the Universal and Humans. I forgot about that. And I, I went back. This is where having like those original handbooks come into shape, because obviously that's all new information between 1986 and now. Right. Because the old handbook mentions the Centurions, but there's no mention of Cree messing around with them. So that had to have happened, you know, in a rel- in the space in between. And but they also- show them there. Yeah, that's that's right. They were in there. Yeah, they're, they're like that last. Issue right, it's like it has like the appendix of all the alien races where you see like just like two, two or three, I think right. so, like what four to a page, and they're all like just wearing underwear. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry, didn't mean no, to no, no. There, but that's yeah. the whole point of doing this. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and that actually worked. I just realized something that kind of worked for some of them, like because the chameleons, like we see them in Power Pack, they all have like most of them have like superpowers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like. It doesn't change anything, but it's kind of like, oh, that's why they have superpowers, maybe. Right. So it's like in the Marvel Universe, you're either being messed around with by the Celestials or or some other abstract or you go down a little closer. It's a god or you go down a little closer and it's like an alien race. Right. Like it would be really interesting. (laughs) It'd be really interesting to have a Marvel Universe story where there's a strain of humans that are not affected by anything. And like, what would they be, right? Like, that could be really interesting. Like, nope, we sur- we hid from the Celestials. We we hid from the, the Kree when they came. We, we, we escaped the Deviants and the Eternal. Like, 
we it could be just like a band of them right and like they're passed along like their own legacy that could be a whole new sort of like secret organization or whatever like give me that story i want i want that story that's kind of cool yeah like fighting or like almost like a group fighting against them or something right right like they're they're I mean, you could go with two wit. You could either make them benevolent, or you can make them, you know, uh, b- b- not benevolent. And um, but like fanatical but, against anything like that. Like we're going to kill everyone who had this happen to them. Yeah, uh, that's where you get like Senator Kelly, and and anybody that's like against mutants. They're they're from that strain. They're from oh. that strain, <laughs> and that's why they're always presupposed to be. You know, like who's that one? The one Creel, or I don't. I've not not Creek. Um, anybody in the X Men universe that's always railing against whatever. You know, Great and Creed. Is that what you're? Yeah, say? it's great. I was thinking of Great and Creed, but I can't remember if he's a mutant or not. He's not, but I think he was supposed to be like Sabretooth and Mystique's son. Son, yeah. So he's got something in him. But anyway, yeah. so a little bit of an untold story there that could be fun. Oh yeah. Hey, we could use another one of those groups. Why not? Let's create something. You know, it's create something new. Let's not just use the same ones over and over. Right, right. Stay. What? Uh, have you ever read uh, a Superman comic? Not in the last few hours. Oh, I was just checking, right? Just checking. Hey, everyone. My name is Michael Bailey. I have been a fan of Superman for as long as I can remember. In 1987, I started collecting the Superman comics as a going concern, which led me down a long and winding comic book-filled path to 2007 when I first started podcasting. Well, it's 2017, and because it's been 10 years since I started podcasting, and 30 years since I started reading Superman full-time, I thought it might be fun to start a new show called... It all comes back to Superman. It all comes back to Superman will be my monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith, where I will pick out something about the Man of Steel and discuss it. Sometimes I'll be alone. Sometimes I'll have a guest. No matter how many people get involved, Superman will be the focus. It all comes back to Superman as part of the Fortress of Bailey Tube podcasting network. New episodes will drop on the 28th of every month. This show and all of the other programs that are part of the Fortress of Bailey-Tude podcasting network can be found at www.fortressofbailey-tude.com. But anyway, yes, yeah, so we get the original Black Knight, which I did read some of those stories, and you know what? Some of them were kind of fun. But of course, it's kind of at the time they play a lot with the secret identity. He has to be the fop. Right. You know, he's got to play the Clark Kent role. They sort of explain that in the appendix, right? Yeah. Oh, this is what I want to say about Merlin. So interesting that they make him. Okay. So we talked about how, like, okay, so he's a Sorcerer Supreme. As I read this, I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. But when you think about that, Merlin is a character that exists, what do they say, like backwards in time? Yeah. That could be interesting. Like, you just made a Sorcerer Supreme out of a being that technically is alive in like all of time. Right. I forget how the story goes. Like you, I think there could be a really fascinating, like, yes, the Sorcerer Supreme is some, as a title that gets passed on, but here's a character that, well, you, he's Sorcerer Supreme during Camelot time, but what does that mean in all the other times? So that could be fun. 
And knowing how they portrayed him, he probably just took it because he needed it for a while and said, okay, I don't need it anymore. Someone else take it. Right. Because at half the time, he's portrayed as a jerk. Right. Oh, but yeah, the Black Knight. One fun thing about him, because the art was pretty nice. It's by Joe Manili, if you've heard of him. Hmm, no. He was uh, a Marvel artist from that time. And actually, according to Stan Lee, he thought he could be like the next Kirby. And in fact, he probably would have been one of the artists that did a lot of the early Marvel stuff. Like when it became Marvel in the 60s, but he died in 58 in an accident. Oh, geez. If you ask, like, and some things I read by, by from Stan Lee of that time, we're talking about that. It's like he was one of the ones, like, it would have been like Kirby, Ditko, and Manili. Oh, been, okay. Like people doing the work. <laughs> but unfortunately, he died in 58. But yeah, he created, he also co created uh, Jimmy Woo. Oh, look at that. And the, the Yellow Claw. Well, that's where Jimmy Woo first appeared. Right, right. Okay. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Agents of Atlas. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's another sort of, you know, a writer taking look, a look at the Marvel Universe and saying, hey, you know what we could do? And then creating a, that whole concept. That's so yeah. That was so great. But, but, and that makes sense why I like it, because there's that whole thing, like, we're going to connect all the 50s characters together. Yeah. And then we have, speaking of great characters... <laughs> We get everyone's favorite Fantastic Four villain, Diablo. <laughs> I like Diablo. <laughs> no, he's fine, but he's, he, he, let's face it, he is not the most popular of villains. No, I was surprised that he's this long lived. I guess yeah, I probably have read that on some, but with his character, you never know if he's just blustering or if he really is telling the truth. And um, But I guess it all, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. And then we get, speaking of Atlas, the next page now, we get the beginning of the Atlas Foundation. Which comes from, and it's funny, I mentioned it before, coming from Genghis Khan. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the evolution, it's, it's how the monk, his empire evolved into the Atlas Society, which is kind of, you know, I, I like when they do that kind of stuff. They take real things. Right. And mix it in. It's kind of like one of the things I like about the Sandman series. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. How there's so much stuff. Especially Shakespeare and stuff. Yeah, how Gaiman took so much stuff and that was real and kind of mixed it in together. So you don't, you know, so like you have to look up like, wait, is this something that happened or not? Like, what was that one issue about the Emperor of America? Oh, I don't remember. Where, like, that was a real person. Obviously, the whole thing involving dream and death and desire probably didn't happen in reality. But, you know, <laughs> that's to mer- that, that, you know, merging that, fun, that in. So I, I find that fun. I like when they merge the real stuff in there. Yeah. Especially when it's long enough ago that it doesn't, it's not, you know, we're not tied into... Like we said earlier, like with Iron Man being tied into Vietnam or Korea, I think at the time. I'm not sure right. which it would have been. 63, I guess it would have been Vietnam. But I mean, that's too recent where, you know, it ties it in too much to something specific. But, you know, 300 years ago, you can tie that in. That's fine. That's always in the past. Oh, and now we have the third host of Celestial showing up. My favorite Celestial, Arishim, the one with the thumb. I love yes. him. Love that guy. The Kirby thumb. Yeah. Okay, it's the third host. The Celestials are, or or the Sky Gods, the Sky Fathers are worried that humans will start, you know, worshiping the Celestials. So they got to battle them because they don't want their own power to be drawn away. Um, And they come up with this pact, right? Like say, okay, leave us alone for a thousand years. Truce, a a truce of non-interference. Have they done... Has a thousand years passed? Have do, did we get uh, the fourth host? I forget if we even get it in this issue. I don't think so. 
Okay, so maybe that's like a story waiting to be told? I mean, I guess you could say sort of, because they were coming back in quote-unquote modern times in Kirby's Eternals. Mm, okay. But that didn't really involve Odin, you know, the gods. Right. So I think it was like the story, I think this story, I think that story was told in like Thor, leads up to like Thor 300. I haven't read the, all of that. So I don't know, maybe that's where they delve, delve into that. Because, I mean, yeah. I, you know, there's a lot of controversy about whether or not Kirby meant for the Eternals to take place in the Marvel Universe or not. Because, I mean, you don't see anything else, and we have the Hulk, but it's a robot Hulk. But S.H.I.E.L.D. is in there. You have S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Hmm. So. I, I just quick looked it up, and the, the, it's, it's the whole thing with, yeah, Thor 300, they created the Young Gods. Uh, as a way to kind of show the celestials something or other, so it does. I mean, it sort of looks like it was touched on, but maybe the maybe there could be a, a better kind of story involved in that. True, um, probably could. Yeah, but okay. this is where we get the creation of the destroyer armor. Yeah, looks good. That's a good. Yeah. I, I like that image. And that makes sense why he created something so powerful. It was supposed to be to fight the celestials. Although I think Thor has beaten the Destroyer a few times, so maybe it's not that str- maybe it's not as strong as Odin hoped. Yeah. And uh, this is a fun page. I, li- I like how this kind of flows into each page flows into each other. Each page. Yeah. And th- there's like an- what we talked about earlier, right? Like the non-traditional use of border panels. Like let the artwork be the borders. It's so creative. Yeah. Yeah, like the because the space, like the outline of space of the Silver Surfer, or even his board, is becoming like the panel for the panel border for the one below it. Mm-hmm. And the different, like different locations, like Belasco's cave separates the ancient one, and then that castle for Dracula separates Dracula, and uh, down below the building walls separate those. It's so that this is. Yeah. I, I wish more more of the pages were like that. Yeah. Yeah. This is a fun one to look at too, and also some of the other effects. I like how like the two the two sorcerers fighting each other do have a dicko look to them. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, we get Balisco, who you know, if anyone's read X Men, especially back in the day, would know about mm-hmm. heavily. You know, because he's the whole reason we have the character Magic, and we get the origin of the Ancient One. And some of that origin is uh, layered, right? Like the whole. Camartage name is that from the movie or was that in some early because I, I, I don't remember that name being around but I you know I haven't read every Doctor Strange comic no I haven't either but that might have been the name that they used I think that's what he was looking for in the movie right he was looking for that city so that's why I wondered if you know that's their way to kind of like maybe now recently in recent Doctor Strange comics they're now using that name but I just assumed, I, I don't know, I just, I didn't think it was from the comics. But, you know, again, I haven't read everything. Let me look it up real quick, see if there's, I'm sure if I look it up, it'll it'll go to the cinematic universe as opposed to. Uh, all right, Probably. here's the, mar- oh, well, here we go. Strange Tales 110, 1963. What do I know? All right, well, that's, wow, that's way back then. Yeah, let me see. It's an isolated community, and then, well, let me, to be fair, that's when it first appeared, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'd have to go to the actual issue to see if they actually named it. Oh, it's true. You know what I mean? Like maybe they're just showing it, but they don't even they don't give the name till later. But who knows? Who knows? 
But yeah, so apparently this all stuff goes around. I guess we would say this is all around the 1500s because I think that's when Dracula was around, the real Dracula. Yeah, it seems like we're jumping. We're probably well. When was the um, oh, what's the book that uh, so the Divine Comedy? Oh yeah, Dante Alighieri. Yeah, the Inferno. Right, because he wrote that in the Marvel Universe because of his uh, (laughs) his 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 meeting with Belasco and like the whole thing is supposed to be that. So that's um, uh, began in 1308 and completed in 1320. So we're looking, yeah, so this is sort of covering a, a, about 500 years here, right? From like 1300s to like the 1800s. 1800s, yeah. Yeah. Because Dracula, cool. I think, is like the 1500s. And I, I like how the Varney thing, going back, jumping back to that, so it's why Dracula is different than all the other vampires. Right. And why he's a lord of them. He actually has blood from the original vampire. Gives it a reason why, because otherwise it's like, well, why is Dracula so much better, you know, powerful than all the others? Why does he get to control them? Mm-hmm. So where's the the where's the woman from? What let me see. What is she, what did they say she's so she's a Romani woman uh who just happened to be a vampire? Yeah. Yeah. I, I forget I, how that happened uh but yeah, he was that's basically what happened. He was found by her. I think he was like beat, I think it was like someone was taking over his castle and like killed his wife or something and left him for dead. Yikes. And well, he came back as Dracula. <laughs> he came, he turned into the Bella Lugosi. And then we get, you know, one of our major, you know, another major character. We get the Silver Surfer. Mm-hmm. So, well, he's been around for a while, you know, only a couple hundred years. Right. I guess we could say at the most, maybe 500 years by the time he showed up. The That's, first time in Fantastic Four. Right. That's a long time for Galactus to be without a herald. Well, I mean, he had Harold. I mean, they did show he had Harold's before him. Oh, that's true. What am I talking about? That's right. That's right. That's right. I'm surprised they didn't touch on that. Like, they didn't bring out, like, I don't know, who were the ones before? Who was the first one? I forget what the name of the first one was. The Fallen One or something? That, yeah, that they was... brought him into, like, I think he first shows up, like, Annihilation. Right, right. Like, I, like you know, they can't put everything in this history. I get it. <laughs> But who were the other ones? Harold Galactus. Actually, that would have been interesting to kind of include maybe a short. I mean, first of all, see, this goes back to my point where Mark Waite said he's writing a story. I'm like, well, you, you sort of are. But you maybe could have used Galactus more as an anchor point through these different eras, right? Like, be, uh, So maybe they could have had a page. Oh, remember... Um, because aren't the Airwalker, isn't Airwalker Walker attached to the Nova, he's from like the same planet or something Yeah, like that? both him and Firelord are from Xandar. Yeah, like that's what I mean. Like, all right, so you already have all these alien races that have, some of them have become heralds. Like, okay, talk about that. Like, just, you know, that could have been, that could have been fun. But They could have done something with the Fallen One, because I'm just looking real quick, MarvelFandom.com. Mm-hmm. It was the Fallen One, but the Fallen One was too unpredictable for Gal- Galactus to control, so he eventually imprisoned him. Right, right. And it says, over the millennia fouled, he repeatedly escaped and tried to confront Galactus, only to be defeated and imprisoned again. And said, now, and then they give a reason why. It says, perhaps humbled by his experience with the Fallen One, Galactus seemingly did not create another herald for eons. Mm, see? Okay. Yeah, so, like, again, 
if it's if your framing sequence is about Galactus, I I wouldn't have minded a, a little more of that, like to continue that framing sequence in story a little bit. And then you would, you know, and then it would make sense. You get to the Silver Surfer stuff, and it's like, oh, right, so here comes Silver Surfer. Um, oh. Then it is funny to think about how many heralds Galactus had since the Surfer in such yeah. a short period of time. Yeah. I mean, it's like, he's like, has the fallen one, and then nothing for a long time, and then the Silver Surfer for a couple hundred years, and then, like, you got Airwalker and Fire Lord and the second, the Airwalker robot and the Terax and right. Nova. It's like, wow. It's like, you really became a crappy boss over the years, haven't you? People keep <laughs> keep losing all your employees. And uh, yeah, that would like to say you jump to the 1800s with the Hellfire Club. Which apparently was a real thing. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> I read the appendix. Was it the appendix? I think it was the appendix. Somewhere it said something. I remember reading somewhere that Claremont did base it on the real a real Hellfire Club. So. Oh, right. Or believed to mirror the historical Hellfire Club, which was founded in 1720 yes. by Philip, Duke of Wharton. I was like, oh, well, there you go. Yeah, although unfortunately it says much of what was real, known of the club's history was revealed in X-Men Hellfire Club 1-4. to I read those. You can skip it. Oh. <laughs> it's not that great a series. Okay. I do like how they, they say here, too, though, uh, the first... Inner Circle member, uh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, originally a purely human group, the Hellfire Club was slowly infiltrated and conquered by various superpower mutants. Like, uh, it's unfortunate that story wasn't that good because I think it could, you think of, think of all those Netflix shows that are taking place, you know, like in the 1800s or this sort of new wave of let's go back to a previous time, but sort of modernize the language. And, and uh, you could make a really interesting story of out of the Hellfire Club, like this really sort of, political subterfuge you know the hedonistic society not only in europe but then also going to america right and starting a whole new branch and just yeah. I, I think i think that that's just ripe for storytelling yeah unfortunately like i said that series i read that and it wasn't that great and it's too bad too because there's some stuff i liked like they did mix in you know from the it did take place over different time periods like one of the issues took place around the time of world war one and it involves the first Union Jack. Oh, nice. But I think it was that issue specifically. I'm, as I'm reading, I keep rereading. I'm like, this makes no sense. Hold on. I can't understand. I can't follow this. Oh. And how cool would it be to find out like, oh, you know, um, I don't know. Somebody from, well, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of somebody. Let's see. Um, somebody from Spider-Woman's uh, past was a member of the Hellfire Club, you know, like a great, 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 great aunt or something. Um, because I liked that in the 80s when uh, when Magneto was on the team. Or I think Magneto and Storm, like, didn't they both sort of share? The, it was like they a co-chair They technically did, but we never really see Storm. That happens, like, in that time period between, like, Mutant Massacre and Fall of the Mutants. So, really, Storm really had no chance because, yeah. you, don't, you know, it's kind of like it was said and it was done, but you really don't see her involved, if anything. You know, he's the right. one that gets involved the more. It kind of was like mentioned, yeah, Storm's, it's me and Storm taking over. Oh, and now Storm's going to run away with the expert for a while, and now they're right. dead. <laughs> and then and we found out that, I think we found out that one of Angel's family member, or he belonged, his family belonged to the club. Yeah, or which made yeah. sense. It was this club for, the, you know, even without the inner circles, this club for the rich and powerful. Right, right. So there's another, like, secret organization, quote unquote, that 
you could you could really come up if if they kind of if they would just take it away from the X universe a little bit and sort of widen it uh, for some reason, come up with a really fun story and. Because yeah, uh, there's yeah. no reason a Stark can't be a member. Stark's oh, can't be members. I mean, come you on. You know they were a member of that, you know, because especially his father and all that. Oh, you know, or some random uncle was was messing around in the Hellfire. Look at the clothing. There's no way were. Tony Stark, especially before he was Iron Man, wasn't running around playing with the debauchery going, woohoo. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I think, yeah, you're right. Like, I think if they would take it out of the modern times, like maybe whatever the. 10 year scale is minus another 10 you know like i would say put it in the 70s but that doesn't make sense right because we're too far away from the 70s but that's what i mean right like if yeah you put it right 10 years or 15 years before the birth of fantastic four number one or the or birth of the fantastic four but you you can have some of the the family members some of the long-lived wolverine he's he's been around forever he had to have snuck around in the Hellfire Club before before he actually started or to battle them, you know. Had some dealings with them in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So. Yeah, the only problem with that is sometimes, unless you have a good good people involved in it, they get so messed up with that time frame of, like, who's around and who isn't. I mean, I'm thinking of, now it's a, you know, of course, this is an example of comics that aren't great, but The Crossing. Okay. <laughs> right. I remember reading that, like, when they do that flashback, that, that they go back in time when they wow. get the teen Tony and it's like taking place at the same time. So he's like 19 taking place at the same time as fantastic four one. And uh, Peter Parker is in there as well. He's like, he's like six. Yeah. No, like none of that makes sense. That doesn't work. It's like, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> this doesn't make sense at all. Like Peter's the same age as Johnny storm at the very least. They got like the, right. they're the same age. Like you can't have fantastic four one happening, but Peter Parker's like, you know, Six years old. <laughs> and Tony Stark's in college. Yeah. It's like, what, you're saying the Fantastic Four were around for like eight years before Tony Stark? That kind of ruins your whole 10-year thing. Yeah. So I like the idea, but the problem is I'm scared about who would do it. Right. That's why you have to have – maybe you do have to have it like really far removed so that it's not about the Marvels. It's about – Yeah, you could say, you know, Earth. you could have someone named Stark, but you, who knows if it's his grandfather, great-grandfather, exactly. great-great-grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. But those families that would have money for a while, that are the old money of the Marvel Universe. Right. You like know, the Frosts, the, right. the Worthingtons. Xavier is supposedly from money, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, who knows what's messing around in his in his, uh, you know, secret family secrets. Or a couple of the villain characters who come from money. Oh, God. So many of those. Yeah. You can have a couple of them, you know, their descendants, you know, I mean, their ancestors. And who's to say who's the good guy, you know, who's going to be in that story, good or bad, just because, you know, their name is one thing doesn't mean the Worthington would be somebody to trust. Right, right. Any more than it could be, you know, an ancestor of, I don't, I'm trying to figure out who's a, who was from money from the villains. But, you know, like an ancestor, of the, I don't know, the wizard or something. <laughs> and now we get to the last page. We're getting closer and closer as we're in the 1800s because we get all, we get a one montage page for all the Old West characters. Mm-hmm. Ghost Rider, Rawhide Kid, Kid Colt. And of course, everyone's favorite, because we gotta get an appearance of I am in there. We'll help sell. <laughs> Mr. Wolverine. <laughs> and at least that origin story's been around for a while. We should also mention Mr. Sin- we do see Minister- Mr. Sinister on the previous page. As That's well. right. Invo- yeah, because yeah, he was in London at that time too. 
right in the 1800s because that's when he's from messing around with apocalypse and all that other stuff yeah that was from one of those cyclops and phoenix miniseries yeah where we get the origin of uh, Cycl- uh scott summer's family if you read i don't know if you read that one no i said it's like on my list for later yeah well then i won't say more than that but yeah, okay. I read a bunch of stuff in the appendix just to kind of have an idea of some of these origins. Oh, sure. Yeah, I dug through that appendix. It's The appendix is really good because it 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 answered a few questions um, from the main story that I had. And then but then it also, like I said, you get to you get to see where all these things come from, you know, and it's like, oh, right. That's where the beast is from. Oh, OK. This is where Tuke is from. OK, so. Yeah. Um, so if anyone's interested in these things, if you pick up this book, you get the nice several pages of annotations telling you that's where, yeah, like you said, this is, you know, these are either first shown or that's where this was explained in the series. So you can kind of see where they originally told these stories. And, you know, a little bit of artwork from those from mostly artwork from the original stories. Some of them are different. Like, it's funny, the art, the artwork they use for all the abstracts isn't from quasar number 20 which is the, the issue they mentioned it's from infinity entity oh, which okay. is a recent i'm gonna say recent it's like 2016 uh jim starlin alan davis series about warlock i thought that was alan davis okay yeah because if you look on there there's a really little adam warlock coming through yeah yeah it also screwed us up because if you look all the way to the right the in-betweener mm-hmm. was drawn very much kind of looked like the beyonder yeah <laughs> You know, I always like I like this design. Yeah, the Secret Wars Two era Beyonder. You know, just with shorter hair. Yeah, yeah. The 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 appendix is great. I mean, like it has the Macron crystal that double page double page spread with the Imperial Guard right from that X Men One Hundred and Seven, like I talked about. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, yep, perfect. Uh, the the birth of the Elder Gods. I think I don't know where that image is from, but I think the first time I saw that image was from a from a handbook. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. I think that's one of them. Um, Yeah, I mean, the appendix is, is, it's required reading. If you need, if you're, if you're a fan of this kind of stuff, um, I would definitely read it. Sometimes it gets a little confusing because they're trying, sometimes they try to say, okay, when this information was first revealed, it wasn't exactly like this and it happened later. So you got to kind of parse through it all, but um it was probably it, it, it's a little drier than the first one, but it's still uh, than the first story. But it still helped to to make me like, a, OK, I need to write a checklist now and I need to read that and read that and read that. Yeah. Although warning for people, not just because those things are happening, these issues, they're not like the focus of them. Sometimes you have to kind of read between the lines or, you know, there's like a lot. Right. It's like it's like an issue. But like it's like it happens like these four issues, but it's like a line in each one. <laughs> yeah. And some of them I actually thought, well, I think there might be a better story for that, whatever they're trying to say. You know, they're like they'll say, go look at this. And it's like, well, yeah, but I think if you go to that, this story, that might actually be better. But I get their point. I get the, I get what they're trying to do. Yeah. If so, you like this Marvel history stuff, this this appendix is definitely going to be is great because it gives you kind of like a way to look for it all without reading every Marvel Universe book. Yeah, because that'll take a while. I have to imagine in your journey through through Adam Warlock and Thanos, I mean, I, I can't imagine there was anything in this that was totally new. Um, but was there anything? Well, was there anything that did 
maybe cement or even not maybe not even about Adam Warlock or Thanos, but was there anything that kind of cemented, I don't know, a love for what you like about the Marvel Universe or or just made you go, yeah, that's I like how they told that narrative. You mean in this book or the books or books like from the appendix that they tell in, you like read here? In this first issue in the actual sort of main story. In the main story, it's mainly I mean, the main thing I really loved was just like how when they put it all together and just seeing like all these cool different things that happened over time, even in this prehistory, because mm-hmm. this is all still before what we think of as the Marvel Universe. Right. We're not there yet, which I actually kind of liked because like I'm like I said, I'm at the I'm reading the Marvel saga. So it's like this was almost like a this was like the Silmarillion for the Marvel saga. <laughs> it's funny. That's actually I was I was going to the store today. And I'm thinking about you know we're gonna be talking tonight, and I'm getting I have some thoughts in my head. Um, and that's actually what I was thinking of. Like it's like the Similarian for Marvel. Yeah. This whole, especially this issue, it's all the ancient history. Right. That's right. exactly what I was thinking. So it's funny. Uh, no, actually, it's the whole thing for me. Because, like the way they put it all together. Because I really like the idea of these things existing. It's not just this happened now, and that's all that counts. I mean, yes, that's when the stories are happening. But I like when there's even if they don't have to. It's not like they have to dwell on it all the time. But I like when these things have a sense of history or legacy or like things matter. Mm-hmm. And some things are older. You know, that's one of the things I did like. Like my when I really started reading, like for instance, DC, which is like eighty nine because mm-hmm. of the movie, because of Batman. Oh, okay. That's when I first started that, and then I went from that to a lot of other things, and you know, Superman, Legion of Superheroes, and a bunch of other books. And I liked, and that's kind of like when they started really getting back into that history. They, you know, they went away, you know, they went away from because pre post crisis they kind of were just this is what's happening now and that's it. Right, right. You know, very much about the present. Yeah, yeah. Especially the Superman, everything was brand new. You know, here's Brainiac for the very first time. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no, you know, there's no history. It's happening now. But then after that, especially when they got closer to zero hour, they started delving a bit more into that history. You know, we got the JSA back, and you got the Starman series when that delved, you know connected like western characters and the and the war you know world war ii characters and other stuff to now right and even like bizarre stuff like the connecting the steve dicko starman character yeah (laughs) or the 70s starman and i like that stuff where like it's not like it has to be done every issue or every page we don't have to dwell on it but i like when they it's a world it makes it better you know it makes it more fun for me because there's corners and things right yeah, you know, and I like that sometimes because sometimes you want to read just the big main stuff, but sometimes you like to go play around just in the little cor- side corners that don't, you know, aren't. It's still part of it, mm-hmm. but they're not going to be, you know, you're not going to see that stuff in Superman or Batman, let's say. Right. I always felt like like the DC is has always been about sort of like history, lineage, et cetera. Um, and the Marvel characters or the Marvel books, it always feels more. I don't know if this is exactly right, but to me anyway. You read these individual teams and characters because of their ideologies, right? Like the X-Men universe is all about mutant hatred. Uh, Fantastic Four always seems to work when it's about the, the as Mark Wade put it, the Imaginauts, right? Like the yes. the purveyors of, of high science or whatever. Um, you know, when when Thor is, is, for me, Thor is always great when he's able to really mix earth and asgard you know uh it's kind of like 
when they start to do like a Guardians of the Galaxy book and it's like, please don't set it on Earth. Please don't set it on Earth, right? Because it doesn't make sense to me. Like they should be at, they're called the Guardians of the Galaxy. Get them out in the galaxy, right? Um, so I feel like sometimes Marvel does that really well. Like think of like, like we talked about that Iron Fist immortal iron fist or or immortal hulk or even the fraction hawkeye right like but when they go a little too extreme or or maybe it becomes a marvel book becomes i don't know i don't for lack of a better word like too jokey or too joke ridden and then it's like well you're not you're kind of telling the story because the writer has an agenda about wanting to tell funny stories as opposed to this character exists. Daredevil exists because of this new trauma, Marvel fault, whatever. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but I feel like I, th- I think I'm getting what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. It, and reading both of the, if you read enough of the companies, both you can see like different trends and that the way they go back and forth. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, yeah, it was more Marvel was more like that. It was more about those things and not they didn't really. I mean, because like they never really beyond Cap and Namor really. That World War II stuff, who cared? That was yeah. nothing. Yeah. You know, but DC did that. And then it was almost like a switch. You know, it was almost switched, especially around the time of the New 52. Oh, sure. I was, yeah. When you made that point about books being in the present, that's what New 52 was. It was like all about the present, even though it felt like reading comics from the 90s. <laughs> yeah. And yet Marvel at that time was doing a lot more connection to the old stuff somewhat around that maybe not exactly that time but around the time we got the marvels project which is like a you know about oh right yeah all those world war ii characters we got the 12 mm-hmm. you know by straczynski which brings back a lot of stuff and we got a lot more especially after secret wars they did it like the, the stuff like with the ultimates going with like the history of the marvel universe and pat in the past and they felt like marvel was dealing more with their legacy now and doing that more than they were before right like it's really starting to open up allowing stuff that dc usually always plays with and then so it's sort of saying you know this is a living universe and it has all this we have marvel has just as many concepts you know i think that's what was great about morrison and hickman and um mark wade and people who can really look at the marvel universe and go there's a reason why mark grunwald is so important to the marvel universe because he was able to look at it from above and and just really like he could do the Captain America stuff, but then he can do the Quasar stuff and just yeah. really show the broad scope of it. And I like, I like that. Right? Let's. I don't want to be stuck in New York all the time. Can we, let's you know, let's get bigger and let's get broader. So yeah, let's do some other stuff. Let's not just do the same type of story, right? In the in, you know the city stuff. Like yeah, no, and that's yeah. perfect for like if you're reading you know Batman or Spider Man or something, right? And there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's but always so interesting. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, finish. I was saying, but it's also fun to do the other stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, silver server type stuff. I was gonna say it's so interesting that they always say, "Oh, you know, Marvel Universe is about human. You know, it's about people, the men for the people first, humanity first. You know, blah blah blah." blah. I'm like, wait a minute. First of all, you got Silver Surfer. You got a dude that eats planets. Secondly, you know, your greatest, arguably, your greatest story is about a girl that gets possessed by a you know the phoenix force and goes and she also destroys planets and and you know now eventually the way the story ends comes back to humanity but um 
those are that's a that's a you know that's a major cosmic story if you when you read yeah. it you know well, you it, it becomes in. a story so it can be mixed in i mean the whole point of the silver surfer helping the fantastic four was his humanity or right. you know right his zenlanian or whatever you want to call it <laughs> Right. <laughs> is in loneliness. But you, you know, I mean, like it, it you just because you're doing the crazy cosmic stuff doesn't mean they can't have any of that stuff. Yeah. You know, you and can what, have that type of thing. And I but you said that, about your greatest, like, yeah, that's, that's one of the best known stories. How about what's considered probably their greatest artist or the one who did, you know, so much of this early stuff, Kirby. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, yeah, he would do that kind of stories too, but it's just guys fighting, but look how much, I mean, look how much into the cosmic he was. That's in there. That's in, as as you, you similar to what you said about like comic DNA. That's in Marvel's DNA, right? Right. And that's something that's uh, that's something I've always I I love the idea the notion that more so than the DC universe the 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 Marvel universe is really on the shoulders of just very just a few people, and yet they are still being played with. These concepts are still being played with. It just goes to show, like it really just goes to show the the sort of success of the Marvel age and how they stumbled because, because everybody always wants, you know, it's not as well planned as people think it was, you know, a lot of it was by accident, you know? Uh, uh, but the way they stumbled on creating and developing these characters and that Kirby just ran away and some were successes and some weren't right. Like the X-Men weren't a success right away. Um, the Hulk. Yeah. Got canceled after six issues. Yeah. But so, yeah, it, it was an accident. And you're right. It is a lot because it's basically, for the most part, three guys creating Marvel with a few others minorly helping. I mean, it's mostly Stanley, Jack Kirby, and Dicka with, like, for instance, Larry Lieber, Don Heck mm-hmm. doing a few of that early stuff. But yeah, like, because they didn't have that, you know, what DCI, where they had all these characters going on for so long that you would have so many people doing different things. Right. You know, they didn't get the advantage of having, like, different editorial offices. There was just the one editor. You know what would be so interesting if this book also had a page of all the characters listed under creators that created them? First of all, the Kirby the Kirby list would be huge. Yeah. You know, because we're, like, all over Kirby in this first one. So that would be also very interesting to see. Galactus, Kirby, Silver Surfer, Kirby, this guy, Kirby, that guy, Kirby. Celestial's Kirby. <laughs> Uh, fun. Good. Yeah, this was great. This was great. I'm really glad that we're doing this because uh, I'm learning a lot and, and uh, it's beautiful to look at. It's so oh, beautiful yeah. to look at. And, and this stuff is always fun for me to talk about. Yeah. Cool. Makes me want to reread some of these stories again. Absolutely. Or for me, the first time. Did you read the the Western ones, the Blaze of Glory miniseries? No. no. I'm I'm not a, a big Western guy, you know, reading it, but the image in the appendix with the wanted, um, you know, that's one of those handbooks that I have. I definitely have that one. Um, but no, I'm not I'm not that big on Western. Not that not that I, you know, not no, that I wouldn't everyone read has a really good they one. like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like the It's a John Ostrander and Leonardo Manco. Oh, see, now I would read John Ostrander because I like John Ostrander. No, that's, that's why I mentioned it, actually, because I know you ha- I remember you saying that. Yeah. And Larry Mankel, I thought I, I like his work. OK, so it's a more it's a more gritty doing version of it. It's not so much the 50s, 60s version of them, so to speak. <laughs> you know, they I don't want to say it actually is real, but they try and make it a bit more believable, let's say. 
with the right. way they look. It's not just, you know, the very early 50s, 60s, very clean cut, you know, look of the, uh, the characters. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, John Ostrander wrote the Kent's 12-issue series over yes. at DC, right? And it was like, what? What? The Kent's? And you t- and it was a great story. Oh, I, really I love that book. Yeah, that, that, really that's good. Great... Timothy Truman artwork. And and that's just the other thing. It's like, you know what? Even if you have to, you know, and I like Westerns enough. I'm not the hugest fan, but I do like Westerns. Mm-hmm. But I do like that they have, since there were so many, I mean, we do have so many in real life, so many famous Western characters that are almost like, mythologies on themselves right you know sure. what's real what isn't i mean it makes sense that like both those companies have their own version of these characters yeah you know, if to throw it in there it's like yeah these are the, you know, almost like having real life superheroes so and let's throw a couple of them in here and, and our you know let's keep them in our books as well they're part of the continuity to go back to what was like what was said in the earliest issue to go back to that defenders issue again with the whole math the new masquerader spinning yes. out of Marvel 1000 and a character that was established in the golden age. And they just happened to layer that his black mask. It was an eternity mask, you know, yeah, like that. and that's cool. Yeah. So cool. It's such an interesting concept, you know, take it back to eternity again. Here we go. Like, and back yeah. to Marvel comics. Number one, a character mm-hmm. who's in there. Yeah. I mean, let's make, because I mean, a lot of the characters from that issue are kind of, whether it's that character or a character, the same name. I mean, you have human torch, you have Namor, you have a character called the Angel. Right. Which I mean, not the same one, but at least the Angel yeah. is still a name Marvel. You have a Kazar. Again, not the same Kazar, but still. Right. You know, so it's like, yeah, we might as well make something up with the other, you know, other people who are here in this first issue. When I was looking at that Captain America comics number one for the Took stuff, there's also, uh, is, is it that issue? I'm pretty sure it's that issue. Uh, a character, let me look it up. Yep, called Hurricane. And apparently he's like the son of Thor. So I was like, what? He's the son of Thor. Like they list him as Hurricane, the son of Thor. Huh. Um, I got to look into that one more because that sounds familiar. Maybe that's a different name. Going back to DC, didn't they say like Max Mercury was like a couple of the random speedster characters they had in the Golden Age? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was, yeah, he was Quicksilver from the Charlton comics and then brought over. Um, I, I, I almost want to say they wreck. Maybe it's not. I don't know if it's a hurricane or somebody else from that time, but I think they retcon like one or two of them being Macari from the Eternals. Oh, that's funny. Time to cover the feedback before we wrap this episode up. And this episode, we are doing feedback from episode 142, which was our Halloween crossover episode, where we covered My Little Pony Transformers number three with guest Tim Price. And on Facebook, the post about the episode was liked and shared by Clinton Robinson, Ruth Sutherland, Jonathan Schaefer Hames, Tim Price, Gene Hendricks, and Adelia Felicia Satisvine. On Twitter, the episode post got likes and retweets from Tomes of Evil, Comic Book Villain Podcast, Viet Win, Toys and Sometimes Jokes, Capes and Lunatics, Last Sons of Krypton, Connor McKenna, Spider Woman Daily by Spider Woman November 17th, Manuel Carmona by Truthful Comics at Indie Planet, Jason Snake Venable, Tim Price, the Podcrasher, Rattelich Broadcasting, Sugar Brony, hashtag Fismodius, Chris Lydon, Brony Retweet, Into the Night, Sean Whalen, I Am Iron Fist, Ho Ho Ho, Mary Wafflemas, John Morris, Bill, and Joey Madrigal, 94. Don't forget, you want to hear more from me? 
just go check out the LEG ION POD cast where I'm on pretty much every episode and it comes out once a week. And we are talking about the late 80s, early 90s DC sci-fi series Legion. That is the one with the acronym, not Legion of Superheroes. And you can find that on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed and you can find a link to that right in our show notes. All right, here we go. Here's the thing that you hopefully you know by now, so start using it. Email resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. Facebook, well, just type in Adam Warwick or Thanos in the Facebook search box and our page will pop up. Tumblr, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. Twitter, at AdamThanosPod. And finally, this show is part of The Collective. The Collective is a group of podcasters who have decided to band together and network in the most traditional sense, helping each other with ideas, sharing episodes, etc. And you're going to be able to hear a promo from one of the other Collective shows right now. The swamp, more than merely a place. It is a churning, seething, bubbling bed of life of which you are a part. Once you were a man, a chemist named Ted Salas, until one little experiment went somewhat awry. And you changed. The serum that was to have made you a super soldier combined with the strange forces in the swamp to make you over into this, a shambling, mindless mockery of your former humanity. The macabre man-thing. Man-Thing was created in the early 1970s to capitalize on the growing monster craze, but under writer Steve Gerber it became something quite different. Experimental, surreal, and very, very weird. It was something I loved as a kid, but does it still hold up today, four decades after its initial publication? So join me, Paul Matthew Carr, as I attempt to make sense of this cult classic and analyze each issue, putting it in the context of the time it was written and comparing it to the standards of today. And maybe you, too, can come to love the world's second most famous swamp-based comic book character as much as I do. The Nexus of All Realities, a Man-Thing podcast, a twice-monthly dive into the bizarre. Good stuff. This is, this is, this is one of those books that is uh, really great to read, bad for your wallet, because the tendrils reach out you know, to other stuff. So if it's like, if you're like me and your to read list is way too long, this is a dangerous book. Yes. But thankfully, like we said, for people, if people are, as long as you're fine with reading digital, most of these issues in the appendix, like I'd say 95% of them are on Marvel unlimited. Nice. So it is easy to read a lot. Of, oh, yep. Here we go. Look at Macari real quick. Aliases hurricane. Oh, there you go. And Mercury, because I think there also is a speedster character who appeared once or twice. I think it's like it's a Kirby one called Hurricane. I mean, Mercury. Mm. You know what? And that would make sense. If you're going to retcon these Kirby characters to be somebody else since they only appeared once, why not retcon them to be another Kirby character? Right. It just makes sense. It's still, you know, it's all still him. Right. I, I like that. I just realized I just connected that together. Ugh. Well, people, that was History of the Marvel Universe number one, and we will be back at some point to do issue two. Excellent. And talk about getting into the closer to uh, the mar- current time of the Marvel Universe. I'm trying to remember how much they cover in the next ones, because it's the six-issue miniseries, and we're already up to, like, the 1800s. So yeah, my hope is that they don't go too far. I mean, it's, it's easy. I could go look. You know, they're over right there. But, yeah, I mean, we could definitely do, you know, you could do the... You could even do it by like 
ages, right? Like you do the birth of the Fantastic Four up until like say the seventies, right? Like, and then you could do the seventies up till the first Secret Wars, and then maybe the you know, and then maybe go a little bit further and further and further. So we'll have to see. We'll see where it winds up. I mean, obviously they did it since there is six issues, but I'm just yep. I it's been so long since I read the issues two to six. I'm just curious to see where they how how far they go in each one. Although I guess it makes sense. We have so many characters coming up. I mean, come on, you do a page, you do like two or three characters to a page, just their first appearances, and boom, that's going to cover up like yeah, <laughs> an issue. I mean, how many of these characters they have? Right. Anyway, Peter, let people know where to find you if they haven't already know about you. Tell them where to go. All right, thedailyrios.com is the best place. It has all the podcasts that I do, including just uh, some some website posts that aren't podcasts. From there, you can pretty much find not only my podcasts, but if I you know do guest appearances elsewhere. Um, and then that that also has links to my Twitter and the Daily Rios Instagram. You know, it's all my my, my show is all about. into like like i said like some x-men claremont x-men books and the dc new 52 and god so many so many different weird corners the titans universe so yeah dailyreels.com that's the best place all right and just in case you forget people links will be in the show notes thank you yep all right and again peter thank you very much for being here i really do appreciate it awesome can't wait for issue two. Oh, same here all right guys well We'll be back next episode with, I forget what's on the schedule, but something. Bye. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.